Hey guys, I'm Loki Pax, and welcome to the Winner Winner Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Winner Winner PUBG Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as MTB Trigger, and I will be your host this evening. With me tonight is the full crew. We've got Heathy Keithy, hey. Grifflicious, and... How about we not doing that anymore? No, we don't. Remember? I don't want to be my first word to be 26 minutes into the show. Didn't that you get sucks. the memo? <laughs> We've got Heathy Keithy, Grifflicious, hey. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Sorry, just go again. I'll, I'll shut up. We've got Grifflicious and the One Heart and Heathy Keithy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, it has been a few weeks since we've assembled. We're coming off of the PUBG developer interview with Brian Corrigan. Side note, folks, if you did not catch that episode, make sure you go back and listen to it. There was some monster announcements and some deep insight into the PUBG universe. Dude, no one's listening to this one before they listen to that one, if they're getting caught up on anything, all right? They could be new. We don't know. That's kind of unfair to judge. This is a big patch. Maybe it brings somebody back. Yeah, true, you don't know. True. Look, we're not here to judge our listeners. We're here to inform and become best friends with them in like a not creepy way. Fair point. So yeah, I'm wondering how everybody is. Griff, what's new, man? Uh, not a lot, man. Just recently put out a new video for a series I've been working on called Drop Guides. The episode one is about Hacienda on Miramar. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Pretty big labor of love. Recently just got into Adobe Premiere and After Effects. So it's out there. You can find it. YouTube.com slash Grifflicious. Let me know what you think. If it sucks, tell me. Don't just thumb down and walk away hating me. I want to know why. But yeah, that's about it. If you're going to tell them that you hate it, make sure you do it on Reddit. Please. Where everyone can see it, too. I want the world to know. Uh, seriously, though, that video, man, is really good. The intro song is amazing. Like, I, like I don't that. get hyped up for videos very often, but that intro song is so good. I don't think Griff did it justice because it's his video and he's trying to be humble and I'm not going to let him do it. It is a comprehensive guide of the entire Hacienda complex. So if you've ever wanted to hot drop there or go to that area on Miramar, go check this video out because he breaks down every section, names everything, shows off cool vault spots, but it also has a really, really good intro. Well, thank you. I worked really hard on it for a minute. <laughs> Don't downplay it. I'm not going to let you do it. It's, and it's awesome. It's a great video. Yeah, dude. The production value is insane on that video. thought you were going to go into that uh, that new jump we found. I just I showed it as reference. It was just in there. You snuck it in there. Yeah, I thought you were going to do the sneaky stuff. Nah. I don't know how many people are actually ever going to use it like in a tactical way, but I'm going to try it and it's going to get me killed. But if I do it and it works. Use what? What are you talking about? See, this is what happens when friends don't support each other. Have you even seen the video, Heath? I watched it twice. What what new jump spot specifically <laughs> are you talking about? Because you showed like a whole bunch of stuff in there. On the stairway, you can, uh, from the top platform on the second floor, if you run... And just about the time you hit, like, the second step down, you can jump, and then you'll land on the window, and then crouch jump through it out to the driveway and the archway. 
Yeah, you made that look really easy. I'm sure it's not. We had like 30% success rate at best, but we got it. Yeah, it's 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 not super reliable, but it's good. Anyway, Heath, how you been? Oh, yeah, good, thanks. It's been a busy week. I, I hacked a uh, GPU in half with a hacksaw to see what the inside looked like. That's productive. Not much else has been going on. So wait a second. A couple of weeks ago, you cut a spider's home in half, mm. and then this week you decided to cut a CPU in half. <laughs> I didn't do it with the chainsaw. Surely the chainsaw would have done a better job. Yeah, it would have done. Well, I, I wanted to put it in my a case that it didn't fit in, and oh. I realized how much of this, what do you, you know, the, the little fin parts that let the mm-hmm. air blow apart. I'm sure there's a really the extra bits specific name for those, the fins. Anyway, I just chopped the fins off with a hacksaw, and so it could fit in the case. But it's that suitcase PC I made. So I was like, yeah, sweet, now it fits in. And then now I can't close the PC because it's too big. So I had to pull it back out again anyway. So Kev. But no, I'm good. I'm good. Anything new and fantastic or just good? I like it. I mean, I'm fantastic after having that interview. That was fun. But no, just same old, same old right now. Cool. Well, basically, guys, two things on the agenda. We're going to cover this monstrous 4.1 PC update patch. Yeah, boy. And you can probably guess who we're interviewing on the podcast today. We have with us low-key packs to talk a little competitive PUBG NPL action with us. But this patch, it is huge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait, didn't we just have patch 30? We did have patch 30 not long ago. It feels like it was just a week ago, but it's actually been a couple now. Now we're back to four? What happened? They just erased everything? Well, hold on. I think it was... Well, yeah, I don't know. Can... Somebody tweet at Hawkins and ask him what is the deal with these numbering schemes. No, they explain it in the patch notes, dude. <sighs> You're right. It's in the first paragraph. I just skimmed that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my bad. I just wanted to make note that now they're t- taking the patch notes and putting them based on the season number they're on. So we're in the fourth season. So it's 4.1. But I'm glad I debated you there. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate you taking the opportunity to make me look stupid like a friend would do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's huge. And I know a few of us were able to get some games in before we jumped in here to record. What were you guys' first impressions of the new patch? So, having some time on the new patch, I feel like it's, you know, just a general improvement, like, as far as smoothness and stability moving forward from the original Erangel, but... One thing I noticed right away that viscerally upset me was trying to use healing items. Like I was trying to drink a boost or do first aid or bandages. And the moment I took a step, I'm I'm not kidding. Like when I literally accidentally jiggled one of my movement keys, it immediately stopped healing. And I was like, excuse me, patch notes. You said that I could actually move and heal at the same time. I'm calling BS. And then come to find out, you have to hold your walk button. I didn't do that once and just kept going. Meaning if you start moving, you have to hold it? Like, yeah, I had to, well, because my walker, yeah, walker, walk or aim button rather is control on my keyboard. So I started moving and immediately, like you can't even jiggle around in place anymore. That's not how it worked for me at all. I think that's 100% based on what you just said about your bind. I guarantee you, if you have walk and aim on the same button, that's the problem. I didn't have, yeah. I was able to just walk forward, just W key forward. Yeah, I was cruising all over the place healing. The three of us all like walk down a hill, all bandaging continuously, because that's a thing now. 
well, apparently my shit sucks and nobody told me. Yeah, we might have to fact check that one. Wow, because we didn't know your shit sucked until you told us. Yeah, I wonder if you have different key bindings out there and you're curious about this, double check your stuff because for whatever reason, my aim, hold to aim is still on my mouse. Like I do the, the click in and hold. But the reason I said aim is because like when you do the walk, and you're holding your hip fire aim, you're moving at about the same speed. So that was like I was speaking generally about the the movement speed of the character. But yeah, I, I later figured that out in the game that if I held that, I could walk slowly and continue to heal. But if I tried to just do the jiggle circle around like I used to, it immediately canceled the moment my character started moving. Yeah, I think you got a weird outlier case there because we all seem to be fine when we we're using bandages and stuff. Yeah, because I I definitely tried first aid and bandage. I didn't move around while boosting or using a med kit, but it was What's really What's the smooth. deal with the bandage now? Is you got a continual bandage that just keeps coming out of your backpack somehow? It keeps going until you're at, yeah, until you're at the max health you can get. But, yeah. like, I mean, physically, like, you think about this action. You've got a bandage that's, what, like 60 meters long and you just keep wrapping it? Well, Yeah. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. So every bandage you pick up, you tie you tie the ends together. You can fix every bullet wound ever with gauze. <laughs> on your forearm. Yeah, on, on your forearm. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's all the way to the bone. All right, I got plenty of gauze. We're fine. I'm I'm happy that we're at a point where we can just like, let's shit on the, the healing animations. I've seen like more and more upticks of that now. It's like, man, we're running out of things. Like the healing, I want to wrap up my foot. Well, I know that we're talking about the patch and stuff right now. Like, I know we're going to be diving into all this other stuff, and I just jumped right off into the deep end about my dumb nitpicky thing. But one thing I want to point out, and Mike, you kind of talked about this on the last episode about the ledge grab or mantle, if you will. Mm-mm. Nope. It was confirmed ledge grab. You back yourself up right now. Yeah, just That's just what they called it internally. It doesn't make it right. Anyway, with that, it was a mechanic brought into the game that nobody really realized they wanted or needed or really talked about and then it was in there and you're like oh yeah this is pretty dope and i feel like pubg is continuing to move forward with a lot of these little quality of life changes that are things that people haven't really said anything about or requested although everybody wishes they could heal and move i kind of just lamented to the fact that like okay this is just how healing works in this game and after this long a game being out we finally get the opportunity to heal and move or boost and move. It's like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. It's not really game-changing, but it's just a little slight buff in that direction. I don't know. What do you guys think? I find like when I play Apex, I don't move when I heal, just out of habit all the time. So I, I, even today when we had a test game, I totally forgot about moving and healing and just didn't do it. I just sat behind a rock. So you think it's going to be something you'll have to relearn as a as a player? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because it was like the last thing I read before jumping in, so it was top of mind, so I wanted to test it. The interesting part about it is they seem to take these little, I don't know, not bugs necessarily, but little things that are major skill gaps. Things like being able to jump through windows before they added vaulting. Things like being able to jump from a roof through a window and doing a 180 degree turn and shoot somebody before there was ledge grab. When you're healing, you really should be jiggling around, standing up and sitting down. And they seem to take all of these things and make them easier. So I think it's going to soften that skill gap because if you're healing and standing perfectly still in this game, you're going to get shot in the head. Right. 
in the patches prior to this, while you were healing, the best way to do it was to move around, duck, move around, just to, so your head wasn't in a static spot. So I think these little things that have major gaps like this, they've done a really good job of just kind of cutting them out and helping new and intermediate players live longer, really, because if you're moving around while bandaging, it's going to be harder to shoot you. Now, granted, you do not move very fast while this stuff is going on. No, you could be tracked and headshot pretty easily by a competent sniper. Yeah, I don't think it's like a super huge like buff to somebody. It's just it's just really nice to have when you just want to get a little bit further around the corner. Maybe you start healing when you turn around a house and you bandage and get into the door right in that time. You know what I mean? And and then you close the door and you're ready to actually like maybe take that fight or or keep moving. Exactly, because we were taken in fire at a compound, and I walked in, shut the door, hit a first aid. And started walking to the room that I wanted to loot next. And it actually worked out really well. Yeah, so you're able to just cut down on some of that downtime. You're not just completely immobilized after a fight. So if you're getting third party, do you have a little bit more of a chance to not be... like they, It's that thing where you get tagged once and you go behind something and they know you're so low that you're probably going to start healing right away just in case they push you. Now you can start healing and kind of just move so that you're not in the most predictable spot ever. It puts you in a good position when you're on the back foot to kind of make a play. And I think people who are angry about it are probably the people who already knew how to do the, the small, slight taps and get a, you know get moving somewhere. Yeah, I was getting ready to say that the people this hurts the most are the guys who have put in so much time and muscle memory into the game that relearning a lot of this is going to take a little bit of time and might screw them over for the first you know few weeks. I don't even think it's, it's going to screw them over. I think a lot of people are just like, I I knew how to do that, and I like that other people were super predictably sitting in a corner healing. Now they're being more proactive while they get, you know, healed up. It's not that that's like necessarily their argument, but it's like, come on, you're just giving someone on defense a little more chance to defend. One thing I will add to this real fast, and I know, Mike, you were like, you know, Griff, you shouldn't be humble. This is something I'm definitely not going to be humble about because I had one baller ass idea today and I got to share it. I ran across a fellow who had asked if you could add or change one thing about PUBG, what would it be? And I sat there and thought about it for a moment and it dawned on me. I was like, wouldn't it be dope if you could throw every item in your inventory to some varying degree of distance, right? But like, say you and a partner were in opposite rooms, opposite buildings, and you were pinned down by fire. But you're like, man, I wish I could just throw you this boost or I could throw you some ammo or throw you a smoke grenade for whatever reason. And you could just pitch that stuff to another person and they could pick it up and run with it. But wouldn't the soda have to like explode when you open it and you only get to like half the boost? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, your gun's all sticky. But imagine being able to yeet that gas can up over a rock and then like have your teammates shoot that shit in midair and blow somebody up. It would blow up in my face every time. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way I survived that action. I just think that would be really cool. Like, strategically, in the same way that, you know, having the gas can be ignitable now, having that mechanic would pay off in a tactical way. It would just be really cool to see or do. It would be almost as cool. It's slightly less cool than if the flare gun did damage. You're not going to give that one up, huh? Nope. Okay. So, Heath... When we jumped into a game just a little bit ago, you, Kev, and I, because Griff was showering. I was being a father, Dick. <laughs> having your shower thoughts. <laughs> you were making fun of me because I wanted to go shoot people, mm. and you were taking all the scenery in. What jumped out to you from the new patch? Outside of the Gell update, which we've seen a little bit of that, but they've added some new stuff there, but what else jumped out to you? 
firstly, and very excitingly, being able to ADS while in a car smoothly, like that seems pretty huge. Because I, I don't know about you guys, if it was my frames or my my system, but when I ADS'd from a vehicle, it was really janky. It was bad. It was always a little wily. Like you could get it, but once you're going a good 70, it gets a little tough. Well, I think it's because the movement of your character was fighting against the movement of the vehicle and also in conjunction with whatever direction the vehicle was moving against whatever direction you were trying to turn. Like there was just a handful of things, a confluence of events, if you will, fighting against one another. And that's why it was just always really shitty. Did you just like snap a monocle in the place as you said confluence, if you will? I feel like you did. It's fancy. It's actually a bifocal monocle, so that way I can have two uh, focal depths <laughs> with one eye, so I can ju- I can judge you from near and far. Look, I don't know where this is going. Can we please get back to the goddamn patch notes? Sure. You know, I we've already been in Arangal, you know, version two once. So the first thing I went looking for was the Uzi, so I could slap a red dot on it. That's pretty nice. And then one of the other things I noticed was instantly getting. The UAZ skin, mm. and then Dacias are just reskinned in general now. They look so good. Yeah, they just they look like a little bit newer. They look like a nice like Gremlin or a Ford Pinto, which I don't usually hear the word "nice" in front of, but I you know I, I don't I don't disagree with the model. <laughs> I imagine when they came off the lot, they were pretty tight looking cars. Not when you had one in high school. I mean, yeah, do people hate them in hindsight, or do people just always hate them? That's a great question. I don't know, man. I don't know if they came off the lot looking sweet. I just don't think that was ever a thing. I think people were just like, yeah, I'll get it. Like, I, I need it, and I don't have much money for the cooler car. Because I'm sure in the 80s, like, Rick Ashley was, like, kind of cool for a minute. And then, like, the 90s, there was nothing. And then the 2000s, it was like, oh, Rick Rowling's a thing. And then just kind of had this Rickissance, if you will. Who the fuck is Rick Ashley? <laughs> no way. Never gonna let you down. Never gonna tell a lie. Oh, that guy's a dude. Rick Astley. <laughs> you should be so happy that you live in the Southern Hemisphere and that yeah. you live in a place. Have you heard the term Rick rolled before, no, Heath? No, Rick's still popular here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, goddamn hey right guys, he is. We have like six years of Rick rolling Heath and it's still going to be funny. Well, it turns out Australians are never going to give him up, you know, so. Well, because he's never let them down. Yeah. There we go. Never going to give you up, never going to let you down. Dacias are reskinned. The UAZ looks pretty. <laughs> that's what pretty we were talking good. about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what we were talking about. Uh, this is a night of tangents, people. I'm sorry. But yeah, the uh, Uzi Pro is really nice. Like, it just feels right. You know, everyone always said this would probably be a good gun if you know you could put a red dot on it. Did it feel like the uh, recoil was still bananas as hell? No, I never really thought it was that bad. Well, did you ever use the iron sights on it? Yeah, I I used to still like it for early drops. You're just like definitely not taking it with you. Sure. You know the micro Uzi is one of those. I wish it was a pistol. It fit in the pistol slot because it's mm. small enough. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. I think it's going to be way too good now to be a pistol. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be like, I wouldn't say it's top tier, but it's definitely like top mid, if that makes sense. Way better than the the ump. Well, it kind of plays into my point that I noticed first here, which was 
the 556 nerf. I got into two separate fights that I was spraying and I was certain that they were going to knock. And they were both one hit from going down. And I believe it's because of the 556 nerf. Five shots instead of four. 24.6 damage instead of 25.8 or something like that. Yeah, extremely noticeable. And that's kind of goes into my point that I think the Uzi is going to be popular just because you can put a sight on it now. And I think everybody has that little bit of, you know, just nostalgia for it or whatever it is that they want the Uzi to be good. If you can put a hollow on it or a red dot, the Uzi is going to get popular. And 5.56, that was interesting, man. I'm going to have to relearn my sprays and learn relearn when to transfer. I mean, it was definitely different. I, I mean, I told Heath he actually got flushed by somebody. And he was watching, and he watched me spray this guy down, and he's like, yeah, I thought that guy was down, and I saw you move off yeah. of him, and he's still moving you, around. You just turned away like you'd finished him, and he just and he walked away. I'm like, oh, that's awkward. Yeah, it's like that bug where the kill came up on your feed late, and you just kind of got to – you got to just mouse one until the box shows up. And this is the thing that I, I, I feel like I said this in the past, but one of the things that I think PUBG could do to constantly keep the game fresh and interesting is – changing up the meta as much as possible, right? Nerfing stuff, buffing stuff, like making what is the most powerful gun different. Like every time there's a big patch that comes around. I mean, I I know we've talked about it several times, but like League of Legends and Dota are notorious for this because they'll introduce a new character or a new item that completely changes the meta. And what was once viable is now no longer the strongest thing or maybe even the most shit tier thing in the entire game. And I feel like PUBG is in a really good position where making small adjustments one way or the other can shift the way that people play the game and kind of make it fresh in that way where you never really fully get too comfortable with it and you can kind of explore and take chances and see what else might be working. Yeah, like Brian said the other day, like the sacred cow is is not a thing anymore. They didn't touch anything for such a long time and now yeah, anything's up for grabs. So I, th- I think that could happen, Griff. Absolutely. I mean, as much as I love the M4, I kind of hate that it's the de facto best weapon in the game. Like, I don't feel like there should be a best weapon. Like, I feel like there should be stuff that's strong, but to definitively say that, like, this weapon is the best, I'm like, the argument has been made for the barrel for, you know, a long time, but because it's so difficult to control, it doesn't make it the best. But the argument becomes, okay, is it bad because you can't hit multiple shots consecutively? But if you could, then you would have to lower the damage. Like the UMP, like you can pump in a bunch of rounds into somebody without a lot of trouble, but it doesn't make it a better weapon necessarily. So it's like, what's the balance? What is actually a good weapon objectively? Maybe you can pump rounds into people with that UMP. I hate it. I just It just gets me killed every time now. I don't know what's going on doesn't feel good that's the problem it doesn't feel responsive like when they change the audio for whatever reason it just feels like they lowered the frequency of that sound so it sounds weaker and it feels weaker so in your mind psychologically you're like this gun's trash Mm. because of all the little minor things they did to fix it when in reality it's actually not a bad gun what the ump oh yeah it's objectively one of the worst guns in the game (sighs) Well, DPS, yeah. Now that the the Uzi is uh is in play with the red dot, I'm I'm saying like MP5 vector, Uzi, Bison, Tommy gun, Tommy gun, Bison, and then you know, oh, don't sleep on the Tommy gun. That thing's a boss. Yeah, that's why I I put the the Bison after actually. That that's my list now. The UMP at the bottom of the SMGs. I mean, yeah, you can kit it, but it's it's just not a good gun. 
All right. I think that's what I had to say about that. Okay, okay, okay. Let's not dig too much into these things because there's a lot in this patch and I'm sure we could ping pong all around, but I don't want to miss something. So we're going to just kind of dig into this and when something jumps out, we want to talk about it, how it's going to, what we think, how it's going to affect. There's just a ton in here and I'm excited to do it. So obviously the first big thing that this patch is bringing that everyone's aware of is the Erangel update. But there are a few things that were in the patch notes that were interesting to me. They reduced the grass density. They reduced the color density and overall brightness as well. So they they took some feedback on the grass particularly. And in the time that we tested the Erangel 2.0, I don't know, what was that, four weeks ago now? They've actually taken the feedback from the community and made some changes before the final release. So I think that's awesome. When your four biggest PUBG streamers are squatted up, having a squad stream, and they're playing on the new map, and immediately their first impression is, oh, this grass has got to be a problem. uh, I think you have to listen because, I mean, I don't know what other outside influence is going to influence the rest of everybody else's opinions about your map at that point. Look, let's be honest. When I first saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, that is a prone city in some of that weight, like long grass on the new one. So I think I think this was a good change. I think it was probably necessary. So the other thing they did is they've added some additional obstacles, particularly on the beaches. I love this. I love this so much. Like the, you know, when you get to the beach, with always there's a drop in the water, at least once a game. And when you're coming back in, it's just a suicide mission getting up on the beach. And now there's there's like stuff to hide behind. You can't crash it with a vehicle. You know, like imagine getting down on that beach and you've got to dodge through those. What are they called? They're like bollards that they drop. Things. Yeah, I have no idea what they're called, but I just remember them from uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to weave like a, a Dacia, Dacia, what's the car called? Oh my God. Well, if you're wacky, Jackie, you say it however you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, you, you weave your grossa down the beach, yeah. But you've got to like duck through those and then you crash into like an artillery cannon on the beach and then you've actually got something to hide behind. This is exciting. Yeah, was that like a bunker or a pillbox in that picture? Am I seeing that correctly? Oh, I hope it's a pillbox. I don't know what it is, but I think what's important here is exactly what you said is you can hide behind these things to get a little bit of cover and even these little structures that Heath's talking about, I have no idea what they're called. They're going to give you a little bit of protection. I mean, if you hide by one, you know, a sniper may hit a shot that goes into it and save you a headshot. But then there's also additional cover leading up to the road, whereas before you had like 100 meters to run before you could even find a tree. So I think this is really a great change. One of the things that I noticed immediately with some of the changes on the map were little divots and holes and trenches around buildings. So specifically the one that I saw on the new map was the one near shelter. Mm -hmm. And there's this little like hole or divot in the ground that like, it's a really cool little addition that I don't know if it was there when 2.0 originally got play tested, but I found it this time and I was like, this is awesome. If you're running up on this compound, you know, people are in there, you can crouch in it or you could prone in it. And it's like a nice little ambush spot. And I pointed it out to Heath, and then I turn around, and he's proned out. And like, yeah, this is yeah. awesome. <laughs> I like you could you could dump a motorbike in it as well. You know, you know, protect your vehicle. Hell yeah! Oh yeah! Well, especially when this map inevitably makes it to competitive play. The most interesting callouts to these maps 
is how certain teams utilize certain topography in certain locations. So like a particular bowl will be like, that's the liquid bowl or the C9 trench. So every little divot and crest they put into this map, like one team will lean into harder than others and could eventually become ubiquitous with their organization or their play style. I think it's just super cool. I'm actually really curious how the competitive guys view changes like this, like if they're excited about it or, you know, they don't even play it because they don't know if it's going to make it. So that, I mean, that's a really good point because that is fascinating, but I'm actually super curious how these guys look at these changes when they're playing on patches in the past. Yeah, it's got to be tough. I mean, you base all of your strategy off of everything you know, and then when one day that up and changes, that's got to be difficult. No doubt. So these seasons are now changing and we alluded to the new patches are going to be based on what season it is. So this is the fourth season, which is going to be called Aftermath. So this patch is now 4.1. So it's effectively a 12-week pass, and we've got some new mechanisms in there. We've got some new quests. There's the same old level-up items that can be purchased, but it looks like they've overhauled some of the rewards and missions and the Reroll stuff that we got with the BP update is now in there, so you can swap additional daily or even weekly missions by using BP. So I think that's a pretty cool addition to the premium pass. Hell yeah. Like I any move to make BP more viable as a player is a great move. If you ever get a chance, like look at Chaco's BP on his uh lobby screen. It's a ridiculous number. And it's just because he's sitting on it doing nothing with it because there's nothing really to do with it. What are you going to buy a handful of crates that more than likely is going to require you to buy keys? It doesn't incentivize you as a player to use it. So I appreciate that they're giving us more reasons to to use our BP wisely. Yeah, I just bought the new skin for the P18C with, with the kill counter on the side of it. Have you guys seen that one yet? It's like a blue skin. Ooh. It's yep. super mm-hmm. nice. I got one at like 50 meters of full spray down with this pistol. I was so happy. And then I realized I was in test server and it doesn't count. Oh. <laughs> just a waste yeah i will say this too the new survivor pass ui on the menu is like bananas it doesn't look like it has in the past but it also does at the same time it's weird they've just made up a lot of new updates and additions so it looks very different and claiming your like bp rank rewards is a little odd but just make sure that if you see something kind of glowing on there to click it like click anything that says claim, just double check that from time to time. Cause like I was on the test server dicking around with it at first and I didn't really understand what I was supposed to be doing. And then it took like a few attempts of like, Oh, I'm supposed to click here and that's how I get the stuff. Got it. So the, additionally, there's another survival title. So with this new season, it brings the survival title. It's more of the time played mechanism. It's how long you survived in the various maps. The one update to this, which I think was really cool, is that they've increased the amount of points you get for Erangel, Miramar, and Vikendi so that you're not incentivized to just play Sandhawk over and over and over again. What a strange decision. Please elaborate. Why? Well, like, I, I mean, I get it, but if you just hit quick join, right, and... Everyone else, if you were one out of a hundred people that hit quick join, but the game automatically threw you into a lobby on Sandhawk because that's where everyone else was, that means that you're getting punished for making a decision that wasn't your choice. I, I chose to play every map, but because this is where everybody else is, I have to get diminishing returns because that's what the majority wants to do right now. Does that make sense? 
It does, except for the matchmaking changes that just got announced. That's true. Right? Because I think what we're getting from the dev letter is that we'll be getting featured map plus a random map. So, in theory, I think the idea here was to reduce the number of queues, and I think that's going to force people, maybe not force, but it's going to probably populate the other maps a little better in off times. I guess that would be the hope. And we're going to see how it comes out. I think... In general, it's just that those other maps take longer, right? So they should have more of a reward. Sure. I mean, it's it's a time investment, right? So you should feel like the value proposition should be that if I invest more time into this map, into this win, then honestly, my time should be valued higher. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that the matchmaking changes are also going to spread it out a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see how that affects the survival pass and the pe- or the survival title for the people that actually grind that out. Sure. Yeah. So that's kind of the the season stuff, and really the meat of it that I wanted to get into was the weapon balancing. I think this is a much bigger change than I had first realized when I read through the notes quickly. There are a ton of buffs, nerfs, and changes to guns. So if you're not somebody that reads through patch notes, I'm going to motor through these, and then I think we'll we'll kind of dive into some of the things that we noticed or are interested to see as this patch plays out. I've got my eye on one in particular, and after you read it, I want you to try and guess which one I've got my eye on. Okay, I like that. So let's do these in chunks, so we'll start with the buffs. Increase base damage of the car 98 from 75 to 79. They increase the per pellet base damage of basically every shotgun. Increased effective damage over distance for all SMGs. They slightly increase the damage multipliers for all SMGs. Increased damage multiplier for crossbows. The ADS zoom for default crossbow sight was increased by 3%. That's the one Heath is, is excited about. <laughs> Wait till he's finished this more. <laughs> and they buffed the laser sight attachment for pistols for the dispersion multiplier was decreased from 0.5 to 0.3 so when you are not ads the pistols will now be 70 percent more accurate when the laser sight is attached which is actually kind of bananas when you think about it it is bananas and i think that's why it's heat pick oh no one's further down the page no, you <laughs> we <doing> buffs. <laughs> no, you you I, said buffs after I said my thing. Nobody was listening to you. Okay, no. So I'm really liking the change to the car 98, just because of my personal preference for the car 98, because I think it now is as good as the M24, or potentially outperforms it. Mm, debatable. Well, we haven't read the nerfs yet. Well, the M the M24 still has a higher bullet velocity, but. Because most players have spent months using the Car 98 because the M24 used to be a crate weapon, they're more than likely more comfortable with that gun and therefore are more accurate because of time usage. Right. Let's go through the nerfs too and the changes. That way we can just talk about this whole section and then we can figure out what the heck Heath wants us to know. (laughs) The M24 had base damage reduced. The base damage of the barrel and the AKM and the Groza were reduced. All of the 5.56 weapons, except for the M16, were reduced. No, that's not true. The M16 is... uh, You're right. Sorry. I'm dumb. I misread. Why did they nerf the AUG? Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Not yet. 
All shotguns had their maximum <laughs> bullet travel distance reduced from 1,000 meters to 150 meters. This is it. And then they made some other changes. The duckbill attachment now distributes bullets vertically instead of horizontally. That's now my guess for him. That's also not the shape of a duckbill, but we'll continue. <laughs> it depends how alive the duck is, yeah. Crossbows will now have a visible tracer following the trajectory of the bolt for easier aim. Love it. And the final change is that they've added a top rail to the Uzi to allow red dot and holographic sight attachments. So Heath, which one? The duck bill attachment vertically. Oh? I actually think this is super cool. Oh, I originally thought with the duck bill, it would have been nice if you could turn it any way you want. So if you just want to be a gangster and have it on a diagonal, like that's up to you. But I can understand how that would be a difficult thing to make in game. But the vertical thing is cool with the shotgun. So you can aim at the knees and take a headshot, basically. At the right distance, for sure. Yeah. This could absolutely murder sure. somebody. Yeah. Hold on. Can we talk about something really fast? And that is reduced maximum bullet travel distance <laughs> of all shotguns from 1,000 meters to 150 First of all, who was shooting shotguns at targets at a thousand meters? Like, you know what? I bet I got a shot at this. I guarantee you, wacky Jackie. Dude, is that a thing? Who's using shotguns over 20 feet? Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. That's huge. I had no idea. I love that this is part of the nerfs as if that's like, oh shit, this was too overpowered. We need to fix this. <laughs> Nobody ever. Here's my opinion on it. I'm guessing that when shotguns shoot bullets and they have to calculate the trajectory and bullet path for all of those bullets for a thousand meters, in the beginning of the game when it is already a little bit, you know, stuttery. Lagadacious. You know, within a thousand meters, there's a lot of shotguns probably going off in the beginning of the oh, game. Oh, 100%. So... I'm guessing this has more to do with stability than actually somebody doing something ridiculous with a shotgun. We got to make a note. I would like to shelf this and eventually re-ask this question because I, w I would honestly like to know like, if that is a legitimate thing that is affecting performance or if there is data to suggest that that was maybe being abused or not being utilized effectively. Like, There's definitely some questions there that I would like to know just because I feel like, I mean... We can meme on it all day long, but that kind of speaks deeper on like the development level of like maybe trying to be more efficient with the way the, the game works, the guns work, all that shit. Yeah, I think early game optimization is probably one of the hardest challenges in this game when you've got all 100 people dropping. And there's been some really cool changes recently that I think will be moving towards that direction because, you know, this is unrelated to this patch, but they updated the gas can to be explosive. Right. Well, have you guys noticed that when you're parachuting into a zone or anywhere, that gas cans now load in from like 500 meters above the ground? Yeah, I just, I feel it as like, it's a big troll marker. <laughs> like, <laughs> as soon as I see it, I'm like, oh, cool, a gas can, useless. Or you're going to be the thing that I die next to. <laughs> There's probably some truth to that. But on a deeper level, I feel like, they reworked that item entirely to be explosive and thus created a new item. And now we see things like bullet travel being reduced. And I'm just sitting here thinking that they have now completely killed the sacred cow or transformed the sacred cow, whatever you want to say, into something new. And I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing that on all of these different items to help with 
early game optimization and i know i'm biased because i want it to be better right well you know uh pro tip honestly uh bringing up the fact that you can see the gas cans before you see other items if you see a gas can then you could use that as an assumption to say, hey, that is a potential loot spawn that's populated by something else, and I could actually veer off right. and go somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good so point. it's kind of like the no knowing where they aren't is as good as knowing where they are sort of situation. Yeah. So take that for what it's worth. I also think the crossbow having a visible tracer on the bolt is really cool. That's funny because I just started using the crossbow like in, in training grounds. I've been shooting at the gas cans. At a really long range, so you know when you've hit it. Of course you have. Well, no, because you can't tell. Like, you've got to have another gun with a huge scope on it, or you could just keep flicking a scope on your crossbow to see where your shot actually landed. And so now, and then I was using the gas cans, because then you know when you've hit those, you hit it twice and it explodes. So I I like this. is really cool, having a tracer on the back. That's a great idea. Wait, so do you shoot one bolt into the gas can so that when you hit it, it explodes? Well, I'm just shooting off whole quivers of bolts, basically, just to try and work on my crossbow range but but so you don't know the first one that hits then you only know the second one you gotta count if you fire two shots and it explodes you hit the first one and the second one yeah but if you shoot one and then you shoot the eighth one and it explodes you don't know which one hit in between that's not true you just you start shooting next to it you stand really close you don't do that from like 200 meters away no no so i'm talking about 200 meters away well i i don't want to say you're doing it wrong but that's what I'm saying. Like, wouldn't you shoot a bolt into it and then run how far away you want to go so that you could shoot this, whatever bolt then hits it, you knew that was the one. I don't want to practice shooting one shot and then running 200 meters and firing another shot. But you're practicing shots that you don't know which one hit. If you, if you take two <laughs> shots and explodes, you hit both. Look, you're supposed to be the resident science guy, and I feel like you're not properly employing the scientific method to your research. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell your group of scientists don't, about Don't tell them. Failure. They're really smart. We're going to get you kicked yeah. out of your like rotary club of nerds. I've got the wool pulled over their eyes already. They can clearly tell I'm not one of them. <laughs> you just have to bring beer a few more times. You'll be fine. Yeah, that does work. And pizza. They like pizza. Dude, uh, duh. Who doesn't <laughs> like pizza and beer? It's 11.30 o'clock. Let me start over. It's, el- <laughs> it's 11.30 right now. And... If somebody brought me pizza and beer, I'd be tickled to death. Vehicle balance updates. We've got some improved handling to rear-wheel drive vehicles. So the buggy, the Murado, the Roni, the motorbike, the snow bike, the snowmobile, the scooter, and the uh, tuxi. Who the... Tuxi. Who, who calls it a tuxi? Yeah, I don't know. The tuk-tuk? Is that the tuk-tuk? Yeah, I call it tuk-tuk. No, 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 no. That has one wheel in the front. That should be what's... That's a front-wheel drive, if I've ever seen it. Anyway... Uh, regular and three-seater motorcycles uh, stabilization improved. What? Hang on. Well, front-wheel drive motorcycle-based vehicle. You, hey, how? It's the tuk-tuk. L- okay, look at that tuk-tuk. No, there's no way there's a motor on the front wheel. There's no way there's not. That's not how motorbikes work. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to turn. He's really mad that we called out his scientific method, and now he's taking you to school over the tuk show. Yeah, I'm All right, I'm, pulling, I'm Googling. Right now, uh, you you talk about whatever nonsense you feel is relevant while I f- I prove you wrong. Regular and three seater motorbike stabilization has been improved. Increase the maximum speed of the scooter. Greatly improve the handling of the buggy and increase the wheels durability by fifty percent. Wow. Increase the max speed of the buggy. 
increased hit points of the UAZ, increased hit points of the Tuckshy from 500 to 1,000. The UAZ hit points was increased from 900 to 1,200, as well as they increased the max speed of the Tuckshy from 70 to 85. Doubling the Tuckshy durability. That's huge. I didn't realize it was so weak. Yeah, you can do it almost with like with two people with ARs. You, you just blow these things up. That was so fun. I don't know. Now they're a viable vehicle. Yeah, so now they have more hit points than the original UAZ. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, the UAZ was 900. Oh, that's bananas. And they buffed it to 1,200. So the Tuckshy is now more durable than the original UAZ. Yeah, but like that thing is so easy to hit, though. It's like playing dodgeball with like four-year-olds. What's easy to hit, the UAZ or the Tuckshy? The Tuckshy. The Tuckshy's got a lot of open space. I mean, like surface area. You're more likely to hit the person in it. It's only on Sandhawk, and that, that, that map has, like, no flat surfaces. So you're just bound to catch somebody, like, trying to drive one of those up a hill like a dummy. Which, by the way, a Google image search came back. I, I'm wrong. It is a rear-wheel vehicle. I just assumed because it had the single wheel in the front that it was both led and propelled by that wheel. Um, I was wrong. Uh, I'm going to admit that right here on the podcast. We can edit that out, Griff. It's fine. I apologize for my wrongness. Tuckshy still garbage. Thank you. I think the other interesting things in here, besides Griff being wrong, is that <laughs> they've they're messing with the speed of the buggy, the scooter, and some of the handling mm-hmm. things. And you think that's a reaction? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm actually curious about that. Like, is there a reason for that? The the scooter I kind of get. And I think the scooter is going to be hilarious with a little more speed on Sandhawk because I'm going to crash that thing so hard. I already do because it handles so well. The center point of balance on the scooter is real wacky because the wheelbase is so short. You end up going over the handlebars really easily. So it be f- interesting. Yeah. It's two-thirds down the, the chassis of the, of the bike, mm-hmm. like where you actually sit, where the weight is. But to your point, Mike, I wonder if this isn't a reaction to players being able to track vehicles more efficiently and more easily. So just over time. Yeah. So like players are the point now, hell I'm, I'm garbage at the game, but I can track a vehicle across a field. But if you change the speed up a little bit, that's going to challenge my, my skills as a player. That's a good point. I wonder if this is, like I said, a reaction to, okay, we feel that players have gotten to the point where it's, much easier for them to track these vehicles to get these shots to blow these vehicles up so why don't we give a little bit of advantage back to the people in the driver's seat and make them not feel as exposed because for the longest time being in a vehicle was actually one of the safest places on the map i mean we see that with the brdm2 now but you know before that i mean the dacia the the uaz like you could drive around for a while and actually feel pretty safe and confident but anymore that's kind of a death wish if you're not careful because you're making so much noise and people are just good enough to kill you. Yeah. And that kind of carries into the nerfs here too. I actually like your theory. I hadn't thought about it that way. Decrease hit points of the Murado from a thousand to 900 horsepower. All motorbikes. How about we nerf the sound that car makes? (laughs) I actually just did a double check. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it is HP. Oh, dang it. Heath. Decrease the DB of which the engine roar blares through your headphones and you have to mute it like you were in the red zone. Yeah, but now you can have that going and the music. Shout out to Wacky Jackie real quick. He he 
put a video up. I think it was on Twitter. Um, yeah. If you watch that, you'll see that he had the radio on, started driving the car, and then the audio cues took over, and you couldn't even hear the radio anymore until after the car had come back to a complete stop, and then you could hear the radio again. To which I'm like, I understand that this is an island that's been abandoned and basically destroyed, but what kind of shit stereo equipment do these people have in these vehicles? You know what I'm saying? I don't know, man. When we turned the radio on in the buggy, you can hear it from a long way away. Right, but that's if the vehicle's not running. I just think there's going to be strategically placed music vehicles now. I think it's a troll move. (laughs) 100% troll move. (laughs) Oh no, the training mode. It's going to be people just blaring around in that with the. Oh, oh man, you, everyone mutes the training yeah, mode now true. anyway. That's just hot garbage. All motorbikes now consume roughly fifty percent more fuel than before. Probably a good, good thing. They're too versatile. It's not so much that they're too versatile, but there's people that can buzz around on a bike forever. I mean, you pick up a bike; it doesn't matter how much fuel's in it. You can basically get to the other side of the map right now. You can go from Zarki to uh, military without having to find another vehicle, which. I mean, in one hand is like, I mean, that's kind of dope, especially if you're stuck all the way at Zarki and you got to make it to the military island. But on the other hand, no other vehicle offers you that same level of safety net. And I get that it's a motorcycle and it realistically doesn't consume the same amount of a gas as a Dacia or a UAZ would. At the same time, you shouldn't be spoiled in that way. The two-seater bike is, I believe, widely viewed as the best vehicle in the game because of its profile, maneuverability, and gas. A son of a bitch to control if you don't know what to do. Yeah, but once you do, I mean, again, it's another skill gap thing that I think they're really working on here is that, you know, if you're going to have a bike and you want to cruise all over the place, you better pick up a gas can. I I hate to put this point in the middle of the patch notes in the middle of a random discussion about vehicles, but I just want to say that PUBG is one of the few games that rewards its players the more they know about the game and how to play it. It's a good time for it because this is actually one of the few patch notes that we're actually kind of going line by line on because there are so many things in it. But more importantly, most of these changes will affect a lot of games. You know, there's it's little things in here, but there's a lot of changes to the guns. There's a lot of changes to the vehicles. And I noticed the gun changes in the very first game I played. And then the vehicle changes were very apparent in the second game I played on the test realm. So I think it's important to go through these. So let's see. Dacia and Murado vehicle speeds will now be reduced by 15% when driving on surfaces like sand, mud, grass, and dirt. That's good. That's cool. Yes, they should. When driving on rocky surfaces with any vehicle, friction will be decreased by 10%, making them more difficult to control. And lastly, for the nerfs on vehicles, there's now BRDM to specific vehicle damage modifiers per game mode. They've increased the damage taken in solo mode by 80% and increased the damage taken in duo mode by 40%. Thank you, PUBG. Sincerely, the solo player. Yeah, that's pretty. It's some pretty heavy numbers. Like I'm surprised they went so thick so fast. But yeah, it's it's completely overpowered in solo. So it's totally overpowered. I had two games where somebody was just literally circling the final circles with a BRDM, knowing that no one had enough ammo to blow it up. So they basically guarantee themselves a one v one to finish mm. the game. Yeah, it's too broken in that circumstance. So I think this change for Solo specifically is great. I actually really like what's between the lines in this. And we're seeing this a little bit with map selection, where they're treating different 
regions differently. And now with this change, they are treating different modes differently for certain items or vehicles. And I love that they're starting to do this. Because in solos, the BRDM was broken. In duos, I don't think it was that bad. But I think it's now going to be really good with the 40% increased damage. And I think it was already pretty good for squads. It just became clear that they balance it around squads, which is fine. But I love that they're now taking a look at individual regions for matchmaking. I love that they're now looking at individual modes and how items or vehicles affect them. Huge props to PUBG for starting to change things mode to mode, region to region. I think this is huge. Well, and it'll be interesting to see what sort of precedent this sets in the future, right? So if it's uh, just a vehicle, then I could potentially see this bleeding over into maybe equipment, maybe into weapons like or other vehicles, for instance. Just if you feel that something is far too powerful or far too overpowered or underpowered in certain game modes, then we could see that buffed and nerfed in other ways. Yeah, no doubt. The only other changes for uh, vehicle-specific is they've added some new sounds. They've improved the FPP camera view inside most of the vehicles. But I think perhaps the most interesting change they made is that they've improved your aim while you're inside vehicles to be more steady. And I think we talked about this at the top of the show, but you gotta try this one out. It is remarkable how much better it is to shoot while you're ADSing from a car. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to do this yet, but I'm really excited to try it out. We did a couple drive-bys, not going to lie. It was great. It was good fun. Like, was I got awesome. to do a 4X spray and actually hit somebody while we were going top speed, and he was not close to us. Like, I could see him. I could track him. I didn't, like, Mike was driving, so I didn't say, like, slow down or whatever. We just kept going. But I was pretty impressed. They'd been actually. I thought you were going to leave it at, but Mike was driving. Yeah, Mike was driving. We flipped and died. Yeah, that's. <laughs> actually, we ended up flipping and landing on the top of a roof on the west side of Erangel. <laughs> So they've added a couple other things to vehicles, not specific, but they've added auto acceleration. So if you're familiar with the auto run feature, you can actually uh, hit an auto acceleration. Thank goodness. Yeah. Dude, about effing time for that one. Like, I know that's so dumb, but wow, that should have been a thing for forever. Do you use it, Mike, in, in game when you're running? The auto run feature? All what about time. when you're parachuting? Uh, that's, that's the thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, you can hit the auto run while you're parachuting. Now, there's a half hold on. There's like a single frame of like you switching to that. But yeah, you can because you used to be able to hold forward and then hit the escape key and then, you know, like alt tab out and go look at other shit while you're parachuting. <laughs> but what? Yeah, they yeah. get rid of that. Does it maintain your velocity? Yeah, it's just like pushing forward. You just aim your head at where you want to be. This is it's not before your shoot's pulled. This is why you're free falling. You aim your head at where you want to go and hit the auto run and yeah, go and make a cup of coffee and come back and you're free falling. I'm that that was an actual pregnant pause of my mouth being open. <laughs> I did not know you could do that. Learn stuff every day, Mike. Yeah. What? If you, That's cool. I'm gonna try. I, that. I discovered this watching streamers and watching them do things while they're parachuting. I'm like, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're like, yeah, they're on their phone texting somebody while they're parachuting in and then yeah realized it auto run here's me like trying to get water from the other side of my desk or like wondering where my phone's at and i've got to have one finger on the w and i'm like you know as far stretched as i possibly can be in here you can auto run are you kidding Mm -hmm. me 
think it's been again that's a big no no we're very serious mike i'm sorry i i didn't mean for you to find out this way um (laughs) but you know there's, there's no better place than to learn with friends and uh for that i'm grateful for the opportunity to be here for you thank you no problem man so just below that when they talked about a feature that i know is going to be polarizing and it's that they've added locking mechanisms to the brdm so that only your teammates can enter the bdrm and it's only available to unlock when all of the teammates have exited the brdm because if you've watched any streams recently or been playing you know that the brdm has basically become the troll vehicle and really the only goal is try to get into it like if you're in solos or duos and there's a brdm around The goal is to hide behind a tree and then jump into it. And there's all of these funny videos of people jumping into a BRDM in solos and then talking to the other people in there and going and mowing people down. Teaming, probably. Hilarious, yes. This is one of those things that feels kind of superfluous. Like, I don't think it's necessary. Like, it honestly doesn't change anything that much. I mean, I know in some cases it does, but overall... I have a feeling this is a solution to a very minor problem, but that's just me. I think it's battling teaming. The way the BRDM is set up right now, it incentivizes players to work together to ruin somebody else's day. I mean, that's really what's going on. When that can be accomplished so easily and without even like two people's consent, like because I get it, if you were behind somebody trying to drive one of those up a hill, you can just walk up to that thing. You don't even have to be sprinting. You just walk up, and then get in the vehicle, and then there they are trying to figure out where the hell the last person is, and you're right behind them. Yeah, it definitely happened a lot. Have you seen seen the clip? Oh, I can't remember who it is. We'll have to check it out and maybe put it in the notes. But the guy jumps in with them at the final circle, and there's 2v1. They're all in it together, and the guys just ghosty it into the blue zone. Like, so they accelerate as fast as they can, and then they both jump out and just let it fly off into the blue zone. And they just laugh as the dude jumps out and tries to run back into the blue. Dude, hell yeah. That's how you do that. That's how you combat that right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that weird balance of it. It created a lot of really good content. But I do think in a short amount of time, it would have got annoying. So I think this change is coming in at the right time before BDRM trolling really got bad. Other car stuff. You can now play music inside the car. Yeah, buddy. The driver's the only one that can control this. Which is BS, because if you've ever been in somebody else's car, you understand the person riding shotgun Mm. has auxiliary controls. Designated controller of the stereo. Yeah, because it's irresponsible for the person driving and operating the vehicle to be dicking around with an iPad or a big book of CDs for whatever age group you grew up in. (laughs) Book of CDs. I found them the other day in the cupboard. My my kids didn't know what it was. At the end of the day, it should be the person in the passenger seat. If they called shotgun, then they get the opportunity to pick the music, adjust the volume appropriately, and decide when to change songs if that particular song is getting boring and the rest of the squad is is not feeling it. I like that. They added to the batch notes that music can be stopped by destroying or flooding the vehicle. <laughs> it works on my stereo at home. Yeah. I need this to stop. Destroy That's it. the most realistic part of this game. Well, if the vehicle's underwater or it blows up, the stereo doesn't work anymore. You sons of bitches. 
You know someone would have tested it and sent them the bug <laughs> if it did. <laughs> like they're swimming underwater. Yo, dude, the car stereo is still on, by the way. Right. Or like it blows up and there's just a flaming vehicle in a field just, <laughs> just playing music. <laughs> Sorry, that's way more funny to me. Just like walking up on a building. You don't know there's a destroyed vehicle on the other side and all of a sudden you hear... I seriously think it was probably like an inside joke. Like I feel like that happened and then whoever had to fix it, had to put that note in there. <laughs> All right, guys, so the healing and boost item improvements. I think the biggest thing here is that you can now heal while moving. And again, we talked about Griff's issue with it earlier. Uh, it'll certainly be ironed out if there's bugs on it, but your bandages will roll until you're at 75% health. So you right-click them once and you can move around and you just continuously bandage. The Bigger thing here, and I've actually experienced this, is that first aid kits can no longer heal additional damage that you receive after the healing starts. I actually had a scenario where I hit my first aid and somebody headshot me down to one hit point, and because of the timing, it actually healed me up to full effectively twice. This was a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, that's badass. So this is this is a pretty pretty good change because i actually experienced this and they pushed on me and had no idea that i would be at full health effectively right and i killed them and it it, it wasn't fair it wasn't right so they fixed that bug really so that's good. good they've implemented some visual effect updates and improvements so they've optimized molotovs they've changed some of the shader effects there's some radio message tweaks really the big one after this stuff we just talked about is the solution to alleviate fps affecting the rate of fire there was a video from wacky jackie which now feels like ages ago but it's really only months that was talking about capping your fps in game would actually improve your damage done because of the rate of fire of certain weapons so back in february they announced that they were going to work on this and improve it so it's actually been five months but now it's less affected by your in-game fps so this is a big deal so if you're somebody who has capped your in-game fps to increase your dps with guns because of the rate of fire they're implemented solutions to reduce that effect so it might be time to uncap your fps again which was actually a really big deal at the time because this turns out this wasn't a PUBG issue this was an unreal engine issue and it also affected fortnite as well interesting i didn't know that i think it might have been dr lupo put out a video about it it was either him or one of his constituents so the last uh major gameplay affecting change in the meat of this article is the changes to the Erangel Blue Zone. The size of the safe zone in early phases has been reduced. The waiting time in early and mid-game phases has been reduced. Movement speed of the Blue Zone during mid and late phases has been decreased. And the Blue Zone waiting time for the final phase has been reduced. There's a huge chunk of UI updates, and I'm going to fly through these. So if you're really interested in all the UI changes, again, we don't like directing people away to the patch notes, but there's new updates to character customization, there's store improvements, there's weapon mastery improvements, they've adjusted the plane UI, they've improved the wheel UI for emotes and, you know, grenade selection things like that, it, they've changed the size of it and they've moved it off to the right. So it's actually not impeding your view anymore. They've reduced the blur effect so 
you can actually use this thing. Anything there that jumps out to you guys as being really worth a discussion here? I don't understand the purpose of the turntables. I feel like that's got to come into play with some of the history stuff we're about to get. Sure. I mean, it'd be different if they had like audio logs on them, like like in Bioshock. But it says it's going to be playing music. I just, I don't know what that adds to the value of the game. Again, it's neat, but in the game as it stands right now, it just seems silly and gimmicky. And I would love to know the reasoning behind it. I think you can use it tactically to cover footsteps. You turn it on and stumble around the house. That's kind of yeah. what I was thinking. Maybe, but here's the problem, though. If it's masking your footsteps, it's masking theirs as well. It doesn't provide a tactical advantage to anybody. You could turn it on and just bail. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but if you turned it on and then just jumped out the window and got out of there, they could be searching that house for ages or waiting for you to come out and if, if they don't know which window you jumped out. Maybe, but any noise pollution... Like a retreat strategy. Any noise pollution is going to affect both players equally, so I don't see that being beneficial in one player or the other, like tactically. Keith, what do you think about the matchmaking changes for your region specifically i'm a little bit worried that it's going to make me or it's going to disallow me from playing fpp because just when i went to use a test server i couldn't play fpp but when we went to na we could but that being said they have done that on the test server before so i don't know i'm, I'm hoping i would get an fpp game in the oce because it's been quite a long time we do currently get TTP games in OC between like 7 and 9 p.m. or something. I've got my fingers crossed that this is actually going to help. Awesome. Cool, yeah. I'm excited to see. Okay, so I kind of explained why I think the matchmaking system is so good that they're actually treating the regions differently. I think that's the best part about the matchmaking system update. Is there anything that really jumps out to you, Griff? Like, what are you thinking about regarding the changes for any of the regions or ours specifically what what's your gut reaction to this well honestly i was one of the few people that thought map selection was kind of a bad idea uh the reason being is like and it something that brian alluded to and i realized it at the time was that when you have all these people queuing into different queues for different things for different reasons then you're just completely dividing your player base further and further apart meaning your matchmaking experience is going to be more and more difficult for all the people involved. So like, great example. I, I just watched a video today. Shroud just put on his, his YouTube channel when he occasionally plays PUBG. And his most constant complaint about the game is the downtime between games. Like he praises Apex Legends for the very small amount of downtime between when he hits ready till he's on the plane about to drop out, right? The time is very short. And it constantly feels like you're able to move from one game to the next and keep that momentum going. That's something that I think PUBG could probably improve upon for sure. Decreasing that timer or increasing the speed at which the timer begins to get games going a little bit faster. But yeah, when you're having to sit there and wait in the lobby for a game to load or populate because you want to play this very specific map with these very specific parameters on this very specific point of view then yeah, you're just making the game more difficult for yourself. And at that point, you are better off just hitting quick join and finding the most easily accessible game to populate. So it's tough. I know that the PUBG community for the longest time has wanted map selection, but I feel like that's one of those things where people want something that they don't fully understand the implications or the consequences for those actions and how detrimental it can be to the experience as a whole. Yeah, I think it's just going to be really interesting though, because 
I've grown so accustomed and learned to love Sandhawk and play it probably 70 to 80% of the time now that I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it, but I love Miramar. I don't play it very often at all because it's hard to get cues for. So I'm excited for that to come back in rotation. It's just going to be interesting to see how this random queue works out. I think ultimately, I think this is a step in the right direction, but I think it is a single step. I think there's going to be future iterations on it, and I just think this is right to your point that the number of queues right now is detrimental. We see it in the lobbies that are available and how Vikendi and Miramar basically aren't played unless it's absolutely peak time. So I'm excited to see this change. I'm glad they're trying something, and ultimately I hope it works. I'd, I'd like to see a system allow for people to play the maps they want to play, but if that's not working, which it's currently not, well, let's see what happens. Here. Uh, one last thing I want to bring up to that, because you think about other games that have tried to implement a way for the community to sort of pick their own fate, as you will. Um, I know Halo started doing this back in the day. I think it was Halo 3 or Halo Reach, one of the two. And then, of course, Call of Duty, since, goodness, I want to say Modern Warfare 2, where the people in the lobby could choose to vote on the map. Uh, it was actually Black Ops, I think, started that, where you could vote on the map, and prime example, Black Ops, when they implemented that feature, every time the opportunity came up for people to play Nuketown, that's what they would pick, because it was the most hectic, the most fun, the most frantic game that everybody could get into, and it was just fast-paced and fun, and everybody loved it. And then that spawned a playlist that was Nuketown 24-7. If you wanted to play just that map, that was all the Call of Duty experience you required, you could jump straight into that playlist. And it worked for a while uh, until you realized that, like, you know, that game lost its legs or other things came out. But, you know, Call of Duty was a monster back in the day, right? So it didn't have any problem populating players. But the problem with everybody just wanting to go Sandhawk every time or Vikendi or whatever map would insert map here is that you eventually get to a point where your player base whittles down to where it's completely unsustainable and it ultimately affects everyone else negatively yeah it, it'll be interesting to see where they move forward with this yeah for sure i think ultimately they're going to get a lot of data to show how it's working and how much people are leaving maps. And like I said, I, I think I could argue a hundred different ways every single map selection change they could make. So I'm just glad we're getting something new. I think it's a, it's time for it and we'll see how it goes. I would, I would give this one thing, right? So if you had to drop players into an individual queue or a, a preferred queue rather, then a good way to look at it, and I'm sure they probably have data on this, but... Back in the day when it was only Miramar and Erangel, I would see posts on Reddit all the time that said things like, why am I getting Miramar six games in a row and Erangel once? And it's like, all right, that's fair enough. That's what made people want map selection in the first place. Because they were like, I'm tired of playing this one map over and over and over again. At this point, it's diminishing my experience, right? It's not enhancing it. So... Would it be possible, and I'm calling you out, PUBG Corp, would it be possible if this was implemented to put people into a preferred queue that, let's say, out of the four maps, right? You played Erangel. 
Now, take Erangel off the table, and you're now put into a queue where the other three maps are the priority. So it was constantly putting you in places where you had the opportunity to play other maps you didn't just already play. Does that make sense? I think so. Like a cooldown of sorts? Yeah. Essentially like, hey, you just played a game on that map. We're now going to prioritize the other three maps over that one map. Granted, if other games aren't available in your region for those maps, then we'll go ahead and put you in a queue so that way we can keep your downtime to a minimum and put you in something quickly. But I think that's what's happening right now, and that's why Vikendi, or not, I think that's why Sandhawk and Erangel are the only ones that are getting played, because it's using that preferential queue system. It's like, well, these are filling up, so... We're just going to stick everybody There's here. a disproportionate amount of players who are queuing only for uh, Erangale and Sanok. That's true. That's the problem with that. And that's why it's skewing it in those direction. The random nature may make yeah. that work. Okay. It's, it's like, it's the kindergarten mentality is what I call it, where one person messes it up for the rest of everyone else. So, but in this case, it's the majority, right? It's, it's 60 or hell, even maybe 51% of players are queuing for Sanhok and you're queuing for quick join, right? Well, they're like, well, 51% is over here. So statistically, we're going to put you with everyone else because that's where the numbers are. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've got PAX about to join us here. So I hate to cut this one off a little short, but I did want to just do a quick overview on the bug fixes to see if anything jumped out here before we bring him on for a competitive discussion. Uh, was there anything bug related that you guys saw that really jumped out to you? Not that I could really see. Honestly, one of the biggest ones, and I think this will probably affect the most players, is fix an issue where care packages could fall outside the playable area. Uh, we saw this several times on Miramar, for instance, because it does have basically three-fourths of the map that is inaccessible. Uh, by any mode of transportation. Yeah, this would be really nice where no longer will you be chasing down a crate and find out it's up on top of a cliff or just outside the barrier of the map and you just wasted all of your time trying to get to it. Right. For me, the only one that was really jumping out was that they fixed the ability to ping the care package with the radio message to figure out exactly where it was. <laughs> so it's funny to me that that was taken out because it was seen as something that was going to be too overpowered or antithetical to the game mechanics. And yet here it is months later, finally being taken out. It was like, oh shit, that's still a thing. Uh, we didn't think about that. Well, at least it's being taken out, so... But, you know, that's the thing. It was a bug, right? It wasn't an intended feature the way that it was originally. So that at least tells me that, like, they didn't intend for it to be that way. But at the same time, it wasn't a mistake that was promptly learned from or consciously learned from. Yeah, and I think furthermore, it just shows that they're also not, like going nuts with like banning people or like temporary banning or really like making a big stink about people finding creative uses for in-game actions for sure and i'm using that term specifically because that's the one blizzard likes to use right and they're a little notorious for just banning people for finding a glitch <laughs> you know so i think it's pretty cool that they're just you know the next patch we're gonna just take that out but yeah i mean it's that's definitely not the player's fault for finding some exploitable bug or mechanic within the game that gives them an advantage. I mean, it's not their fault that they're able to do it. At that point, like, what are you just... You're going to implement the honor system and hope that everybody acts accordingly to the intentions of the developers? Like, come on, guys. It's not going to happen. 
So yeah, that pretty much wraps up the patch. There is honestly a ton of stuff in this patch that we didn't hit on. We tried to hit on the majority of the stuff that affects in-game, but I know we didn't hit on all of it. So this is one of the ones where there's a ton in here. Griff said it earlier that knowledge is power in this game. So dig into this thing. Or, like most, you know, we're going to jump in and we're going to figure some of this out. The cool part about this is a lot of these changes, you will feel the difference in the first couple games that you play. For sure. And I think that's really cool that they're updating the game in a way that feels different, feels new, feels fresh. So that's fantastic. Hell yeah, for sure. Well, and we kind of give a TLDR of some of the bullet points. I mean... I'm going to mention it again, like Wacky Jackie did a good, you know, 16, 17 minute long video about this patch. Um, I know that a lot of what we did here was a lot more opinionated based on all the individual topics and stuff. But yeah, definitely check out his video, read the patch notes. They'll be in the description um, for the podcast. So yeah, if, if you want to know everything, just check out the patch notes or, you know, watch Wacky's video or just listen to this podcast, whatever does it for you. One of the most common requests that we get on the show is to cover more of the competitive scene. Now, admittedly, we've covered it at a surface level, but we haven't really done any deep dives. So with that, I want to introduce our guest for this episode. If you've been following news about the pro circuit and the MPL specifically, you will probably recognize our guest as the in-game leader for the new NPL team, Low-Key, Pax welcome to the show sir how are you not too bad thanks for having me really appreciate you guys reaching out it's uh not too often we get to do like something like this so it's a lot of fun dude we're excited like straight up i feel like the competitive scene is one of the most underexposed regions of PUBG. so i think it's dope to get somebody on to talk about it yeah i totally agree competitive scene is kind of brushed under the carpet or whatever you want to call it but um for the most part, it's it's definitely growing. It's like it's in a good direction right now. It's just like now we kind of have to show people that it's there and there's got to be ways to get people involved in it and definitely could do a lot better job at that. But it's just it's growing. It's going to be good to talk about it. Well, and I think the story around teams or players is really important to that because just a little bit of background as to how we got introduced. I was seriously just browsing Twitter one night and my feed just started blowing up with people saying congratulations to Loki and talking about the story of Pax. And I kept hearing Pax, Pax. And I think uh, Moses even tweeted it out. And then I just started clicking around and I found your Twitter profile. And you had made that post about two years of work going into this. And admittedly, I hadn't seen your name before, right? And that's kind of where the pro scene is right now is I think there's this gap of knowing exactly how it works, how to get there, how does somebody grind to get into the pro scene, where are their leagues? There's just a bunch of question marks that kind of know from other games if people have followed Counter-Strike or Call of Duty. There's always the common things that are out there and you see people talking about scrims, but that was one thing that I hoped to talk about with you was how does somebody do this like tell us a little bit about your story you know maybe explain it a little bit and perhaps you know if you can use a little more detail on it because i think in general this is one of the most common questions that we get and we have not done it so we really don't know how you go from 
being a player who's interested and competitive to a player who's now on an MPL team. Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah, like I said, it's it hasn't been exposed too much on how to do it and the right path. Just like an esport, there's like no right path, right? Like you could be a really good player and competitive PUBG is complete something like completely different. So Pretty much when I started, obviously everyone fell in love with the game when it was just booming right out of the gates. Like I was a YouTuber for H1Z1 and was like pretty successful at it. And I was one of those guys that just like hated PUBG at the beginning because it was so slow and was just like a big PUBG hater. And then I tried it a couple months later and I was like, holy cow, this is literally the best game ever. So I think that's kind of like how everyone pretty much started. But as far as competitive, I guess like the rough path, you go through basically opens, you just play with your friends, you go through opens, you go through open qualifiers, like back in the day, um, they had like three online leagues that everyone played in. Um, you go through those open qualifiers and you make it to kind of like the mid tier and then you make it to the top tier. For me personally, I started my own team and this was probably about a year and a half, two years ago. And it consists of me, Taylor, Jay, who's on United now, a guy named Rav and Mitzi. We basically like created a team out of the blue, it was just like friends, like we all just like kind of met each other through playing pubs and just discord and stuff and just random stuff like that. Ended up doing really, really good, like just fell in love with the game competitively. And yeah, Taylor literally got on United. He got um, to go to many lands, got to go overseas to Sweden, just like got to go to a bunch of different tournaments. And um, he's very successful now. And my path was a little bit rocky. Like I, like I said, I started two years ago. For some people, they can literally hop on play competitive and be ready right away it took me two two long years like it, it was it was tough like it's really hard to have teammates that you go through the grind with and then they get picked up on huge teams like cloud nine like lobes one of my old teammates he got picked up on cloud nine from my like first like good competitive team and uh, a couple other teammates here and there have like gotten picked up and i'm just like sitting here like i am the igl but at the same time like I'm just still sitting here grinding and working like literally eight to 10 hours every single day. I play probably 65 hours a week, every single week since uh, the last two years. And I guess that whole feeling of going through the MPL and everything was just like unbelievable. It's like, finally we made it. But at the same time we made it, but like now's the real grind time. Like we've worked so hard to get here. Like, like we want to win. So it's like as nice as it is. And everyone was super nice on Twitter and everything. Like it was, it's grind time now. And you mentioned a few things that I want to dig into there. So you talked about being the IGL and you have teammates that get picked up. Most of my competitive experiences with Counter-Strike, but the IGLs tend to get, I don't know, they, they tend to take a lot of the heat and then they are really good at setting up players to their strengths. So I guess it doesn't surprise me that a good IGL would have teammates plucked off, but then sitting here hearing you say that i'm like oh my gosh that sucks yeah like being an in-game leader is tough like you're making all the decisions you're micromanaging everyone you're you're literally looking at the map all the time and it is definitely difficult to prove that you're good enough prove that like you could get picked up and stuff like that when other people are just literally focusing on shooting people and getting as many kills and as much damage as possible but to be honest, like once you get to the mid to top tier, being an in-game leader, it, it doesn't matter stat-wise. Like literally no one cares. It's just if your team does really good, it's pretty much based on your calling. But IGLs, they, they have to frag. Like you have to be able to compete against Cloud9, against Envy, against Space Station, against FaZe, like all these teams. Like you need to be able to compete against these players day in and day out. And if your IGL is your weak link, it's it's not going to work. So every like all four players have to be fraggers. All four players contribute in some way to the IGL um, and to some calls. But 
yeah, it does suck to have teammates that are fraggers. Like, obviously, it looks better stat-wise. And back in the day in PUBG, everyone just cared about stats. They still do a little bit for the most part. So we had a long discussion about stats a few episodes ago, and the title of it was How to Know If You're Good at PUBG. You just mentioned that everyone used to care about stats. Maybe there's a little bit of a move away from that. But what are people looking for in the pro scene regarding stats? It's heavily involved with damage del, average damage ADR. Obviously kills, there's a new stat out there like kills per minute or damage per minute, something like that. And those are like new stats coming out. All those are obviously like popular stats that everyone looks at kills and ADR. For the most part, that's pretty much it. There's stats for everything. There's stats for picking up meds or stats for vaulting. Like there's stats for everything, but... Like, as far as, like, picking up players and, like, looking for players to play with, like, it's pretty much still ADR and kills for the most part. I don't want to get Griff started on a Mighty Ducks tangent, but do you do any out-of-the-office team exercising, like, team-building exercises? I guess I can leak some stuff, because I know a lot of teams do not do, like, mental training. They don't do team-building stuff. Like, for example, um, our team, low-key, we always say that um, there's no side group chats. There's no there's no individualism. Like, no matter what, you're playing for the team, with the team. Everything is about low-key. It's not about the name on the back. It's about the name on the front. Like, the org, like, especially it helps that we have a great org with us. That gives us literally anything we want and helps us succeed in the best way possible, but... Um, as far as like team building stuff, we do have some mental training coach that we've we've gone through, especially at LAN. We've gone through uh, last tournament when we went to California. We got flown out a week and a half early, went to boot camp, did a bunch of team building. Obviously, staying together is huge. Playing on like the LAN PCs, the LAN monitors, all the setups are like they're all the same. So it's uh, it's huge to play on that. Uh, but as far as team building like online, we pretty much just get together every day. We have a meeting. We have a coach. Our coach is great. He goes through and makes sure everyone's individual mistakes are figured out. Since like each season is like only two, three months long, it's like really, really huge to get all those individual mistakes out fast. So like that's what he, that's what his job is, and that's pretty much it for like team building. Like we do a lot behind the scenes, kind of like with messages and stuff, just to make sure, like I said, like stuff is like all the mistakes are figured out right away. So that we can just focus on the big mistakes and the team mistakes that we can just fix really quick. How easy is it finding four dudes who are able to just coexist with one another on that level? Uh, that's so hard. At every single level, it's hard. I guess what I should say, like for like a new player that's looking to get in competitive, the biggest advice that anyone's ever given in the world of competitive PUBG, they always say that no matter what, you always want to put yourself on a better team doesn't matter about friendships doesn't matter about history nothing it just as long as you're on a better team it doesn't matter if you do it every couple of weeks like honestly like it, it's gonna look bad but at the same time if you're good and you just and you deserve to be on a better team you need to keep getting on a better team and it's hard to find four people that mesh well I mean I've, I've been here for two years now I know pretty much how every single person acts and how they how they treat each other, how they how they are as teammates, how they are as people. You get to know, but for those of you that like don't know, it is really difficult. Usually you kind of gel with one person and then you stick with that one person and you kind of grow off of that. Like that's what I did with Taylor J. Like I met Taylor J. Like he was obviously a beast. Like he was one of the best fraggers in North America. Still is, obviously, but he uh him and I stuck together. We just added another player, kicked another player, added another player, kicked another player until we got to the level that we thought we deserve to be at and then once we kind of hit our ceiling we're like okay maybe we need to make a change like with one of us and then obviously he made the big jump and went from there so it is tough to find all four people like to be really really good friends 
And I'm, I'm like super lucky to have that with my team. I know a lot of teams have issues with uh, different people because gamers are different than like school friends. You know what I mean? Like gamers are some people in the pro scene are very egotistical. Some people are very quiet. Some people don't like to go out much. Some people don't like to party. It's like it's all everyone's different. So you kind of have to find like a good happy medium that everyone understands like this is what we want. This is what we do and have a good set plan and everyone's on the same page. Yeah, I think that's probably something that people probably don't think about is the fact that like, even though the multiplayer gaming is a very communal experience in 2019, hell, even just in the past 10 years, it's way different than it was 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I was a kid playing Smash Brothers in my buddy's basement. Gaming attracts a lot of introverts. And I don't think people really realize like how many people are just kind of off in their own world, sitting in their room or their office, just playing games. And then, hey, you're really good. Why don't you come hang out with three other dudes and live in a house together? And you're like, holy shit, I have no experience doing this. I don't know what I'm doing. For some people, it's tough. I mean, we even have some people on our team that like sometimes won't eat food if it's different than what they eat. Like uh, if they, they won't eat the food if it's not pizza or stuff that they would just order in house, right? Oh, I got a four-year-old. I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> definitely understand that. But so it's just kind of like you got to deal with that stuff. Like if you just you basically just ask them like, hey, if you want to go out tonight, we're going out. If not, cool. Just sit in your room. Like you just got to respect every single person and what they're used to at home or like however they're used to eating or acting or doing whatever. So it's not too bad. Yeah. So and you mentioned uh, low key being the or behind you. And I want to get to that. But I think where there's a disconnect is how you got from finding people to put together a team to the point where you have an organization that's going to then, you know, have a coach and to Griff's point, potentially living together, traveling together, all that kind of stuff. Before an org ever came in, was it just a, you know, was it a clan tag, a group? Like how how does that form up? You mentioned that you paired up with Taylor J and then you guys just kept kind of trying to find people. So you guys are managing yourselves, coaching yourselves, building a team. Explain that process a little bit. There's discords out there, kind of like competitive discords, pro discords that are open to anybody, open to the public. Obviously, like you just have to ask for an invite and it's simple as that. They'll just give you the link, find like a bunch of players to play with competitively you can do scrims, you can make teams. So pretty much when you get to that point, you make a team, any name you want, you just say like, this is our team name, this is our roster, yada, yada, yada. And you go from there, you can hold tryouts, like internally, you have to manage everything. Like I, I'm still in college, I have a year left. And it's like, this has helped so much. Like I, I literally have managed every team I've ever been on, obviously, because I'm IGL too, like you're pretty much naturally in a management slash coach captain role i've managed players i've managed schedules i've managed literally making sure everyone's on the same page the communication's huge and all this that's just how you start and then once you get a team that you enjoy playing with and are doing pretty good and learning with then you just start participating in scrims scrims happen every single night seven o'clock eastern time there's six games three miramar three erangel it runs until about 10 30 every single night just play those you literally just grind scrims every single night as much as you possibly can you sign up the day before or you can sign up for the whole week whatever you want and anyone can sign up like i said and there's literally no bias in those open scrims at all it's just pretty much whoever first come first serve uh, they put as many lobbies together as possible you just grind and then once it comes comes time for open qualifiers into the mplc um, if you're an mpl or plc open qualifiers whatever you just go through those open qualifiers and it's it's all online um, you sign your team up just like you would for any tournament online or whatever and you just go through those qualifiers and then once you get to the mplc i would say is 
when you have a little bit of credibility to get an org or get a coach, it's very difficult to get an MPLC for sure. Um, you have to have a lot of experience. You have to have people that are like really confident to obtain a coach and to obtain an organization. It's very, very, very difficult. Like there's still teams out there like Rumblers who are in Sweden right now at the GLL Grand Slam. They still don't have an organization. It's not because they're a bad team. Like they, they literally made it to Worlds. Like they're a good team. There's just so much more that goes into playing and performing like uh, that's the main thing probably but being able to do content being able to like be personable being like really good people on camera off camera doing community events like when we go out to los angeles in a month me and our captain fignaldo like we're going out to uh, the local schools Banks, you said a couple things here that are kind of blowing me away and i'm guessing as people listen to this they're going to think the same thing so you said two things one is you're still in college right right and i would i honestly had no idea how old you were I would have never guessed that just from our initial conversations here. And I think that's really cool. So I want you to dig into that a little bit. What really blew me away was how you said managing people and doing everything that's involved with the team has helped you. I'm kind of wondering about what sort of things have you had to manage and when you say help you, it makes me think that you've got a passion for that because when when I grew up, right, I'm 33 Mm -hmm. and I was an athlete and I played games my whole life. And it was always sort of, I don't want to say looked down on, but it was always this like, oh, you play video games? Well, let's talk about football. Let's talk about track. It it was a different mindset, but I've always felt that there is so much to learn from gaming that you can't get anywhere else. So I am fascinated by what you just said. Could you dig into that a little bit more for us? I can literally talk all day about this stuff. I used to play hockey. I played hockey at an extremely high level, uh, junior A in the United States, and did really well, was captain on literally every single team I was a part of, ended up getting offered to have a scholarship to play NCAA hockey, played my first season, that's when PUBG came out, I was honestly starting YouTube then with H1Z1 during the summer between my juniors when I was 20 years old, and going to a freshman in college at 21 and yeah so I, I was always a gamer, loved games, played Call of Duty, did all of that, got my first PC, and then started obviously gaming and YouTube on the PC and stuff. Once I got to college, I I obviously loved hockey, but PUBG competitive was like incredible to me. And it just like, I played hockey since I was literally two years old and a game like that, like it took over my life. Like I loved it and it consumed me and I'm a business major. So pretty much anything that has to do with managing, managing a team definitely helped a lot in that regards. Offline, we had talked about something where maybe it was events or you guys traveling or PR for the team. I mean, all of that is something, like I said, I'm I'm passionate about because I think looking down on uh, at people or kids who are looking at video games as a way to interact and learn life skills, I think it exists there. And when you tell someone, no, you can't do that, it just, I, I'm so against that. So yeah. Are you doing things as the organization about that? It just sounds like you're really passionate about it. And there's more to that story. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if you hear if you hear what Ninja always says, Ninja always says, go to school, go to school. Like you need to go to school. You need to have a job like you like streaming on Twitch and gaming in general, just like kind of needs to be second priority. Like you have to get an education. Like I'm I was always like that. Like I'm always someone that puts all my eggs in one basket. But at the same time, like make sure I'm insured, I guess, to say like to say the least, like I'm I'm insured all the time, like. I have a college, I'll have a college degree to back fall back on if this doesn't work out. Same with hockey, like 
as long as I get to college and get that scholarship, like I'll always have a college degree to go to fall back on if hockey doesn't work out, if gaming doesn't work out, which somehow it's working out now, which is great. But if it didn't end up working out, then um, I would have a college degree to fall back on. So obviously, like learning those life lessons, so to say, and like that you learn in sports that you learn in, in school in general, like gaming, there's definitely room to to grow as a person and to learn those life lessons um but it's definitely helped me it's definitely helped me open up it's definitely helped me talk to anybody it's helped me like in front of a camera um especially with youtube obviously like i would record myself like that was like huge especially for pr and like i said like going out to the schools and teaching kids that there is a path like i wish i could honestly like talk to parents and just say like let your kids game as long as they're in school and doing really good and just doing all the necessary things to grow as a person and uh like gaming's not gonna hold that back at all yeah i find it pretty incredible how like society has totally switched on that it's great it's looking good yeah no it's fantastic like there's a there's an actual public school charter school or something like that actually where i live here in texas where it's a video game school and now it's not around like playing games but more around like development of games so like the coding the animation the textures the art the 3d like everything that goes into making games i'm just like dude i was born in the wrong decade like (laughs) this is garbage it's it's so cool to see how far that's come and where it's going to continue to grow i'm I'm really excited to watch it you know because you think back like yeah we have football baseball and basketball but that was shit somebody did in a field one day and then people got interested in it you know everything has a grassroots beginning you talked about it earlier with like the scrims, you said that they're public and you can just kind of reach out to the right people and get involved in those and sort of things. And I was curious, has anybody been discovered by any of these like sort of public offerings into the professional realm? You know, it, it honestly, it happens sometimes. So it's not the, it's not that, so MPL teams will pretty much never pick up just some random that has zero experience that is just a raw aimer is like really really good at shooting but just has zero experience in competitive because like i said it's like a totally different game one player that stands out is lobes now this guy was like i was part of uh or called check six i'm sure you heard like from counter-strike days of check six but like i was part of that organization and that was like my first like big PUBG gig like i finally made this this team a bunch of great guys that were just grinders um and we were looking for a fourth and we were like, you know what? Like, let's try this. Let's try this kid out. He's been killing it just recently. Like, in opens, like a lot of kills, like really high kill games, and and on pubs, like you just watch the stream. It's like, holy crap, this kid can play. There's some people that are like that out there. They will get a chance. Like, we gave him a chance, and this kid literally two months after he joins us gets put on Cloud Nine, who is arguably like the biggest org in PUBG, I think, other than like Liquid and Phase. Definitely on the NA side, Cloud Nine's the best. So. Well, and when he went out with Cloud9, he fragged out, too. He played well. He literally killed it. Like, he was so good. And to see this kid literally go from nothing to something just like that in a matter of, like, a four-month span, it is possible. Like, it definitely can happen. But that is rare. But the the point of, like, just starting out and then grinding the ranks pretty quick, like Taylor J did, it was literally, like, six months. It could happen that quick as long as you... Like I like I do, like you grind ten to twelve hours every single day. You try to get on the best team all the time. Like you never settle for for mediocrity. Like for you just you need to get you need to win. You need to do good. You need to be seen. Um, you need to perform. Obviously, like that's that's the main thing. Anyone anyone could do it if you're a really 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 good player. Um, something clicks and you grind harder than anyone. Um, obviously it's a huge commitment with work and school and 
bunch of stuff. Like everyone went through that. But at some point, like if you want to go all in, I think really the only way, like one of the only ways for to be quick and to do something like to make a be a pro PUBG player really quick is to just do it full time and go all in for it. Very interesting. As somebody who is a fan of the professional scene who wants to see it grow, but also doesn't commit the time to it as I probably should, what are some of the things that you wish people who maybe do follow or don't follow the professional scene knew? Like, is there anything as a professional player you're like, damn, if people outside knew X or if they were aware of this, maybe they would be more interested in it? Or do you think that maybe it's the professional scene's lack of sort of creating narratives between organizations or if there's just anything that could be done? I would love to know your opinion about that. Um, I'm not sure why PUBG kind of started out as like a pub matches only kind of game with just the average player that just loves Battle Royale. Um, I'm not sure why it didn't really like take off competitively, but I think the problem with it now is now that people are getting more interested in it and really want to explore the competitive side of PUBG, I, I think the like really the only thing I can say that will probably help that situation is just promotion, like promotion on Twitter, promotion on reddit uh promotion just in PUBG, like like now you're just now starting to see something about the mpl on the top left corner of your screen when you start the game up you know what i mean like there's no mpl is live here now there's no what let's watch button or anything in PUBG. like stuff like that um i don't think PUBG competitive will blow up until something like that happens that's like the main thing like integrated into the actual game integrated into twitter and just social media and just like being exposed like right now competitive pubg like everyone kind of knows about it a little bit but they're not interested in it like to watch it and to play in it because it's just like it's there but there's no info on it there's no i don't know it's just there's there's definitely a disconnect that's super interesting because that's exactly kind of my point was and and why we wanted to bring you on here because part of it's like how where is it What's going on? I I can't tell you how many times news comes out around an event, and I was like, what? Wh- where? Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Go looking for it. You have to take time out to actually find it. You do. Which is, you do. Yeah. And no one really knows about the PUBG Esports website. Like, they do talk about it sometimes on Twitter, but I mean, you got to boost it. Like, you got you to gotta promote it. You got to... I guarantee you their views on that website are minimal, like probably just the pro players and a couple people that are interested and that's it. No joke. Before we recorded the last episode and had Brian Corrigan on, Kev was like, hey, have you seen the esports page? And I'm like, what? What esports page? Yeah. And he links it to me. And I'm like, this thing is fleshed out. It's great. It's an awesome it is website. Good, yeah. But I was like, how did I not know about this? I know. It, it is. It's kind of crazy. I mean, Counter-Strike integrates it on their on their game. Like, literally, the first screen you see is the stinking stream on the actual game. Then you could click on it. You could bet. You could just vote on who's going to win. Just, like, fun stuff. You know what I mean? And there's just there's none of that in PUBG right now. And I get it. It's, like, the, it's the second or third year of competitive PUBG. I know it's it's not high up there like they need to make the game perfect. I totally agree. But at the same time, they're putting in millions and millions and millions into this like competitive scene and like they're not really promoting it and they're doing them themselves and us like a disservice for not really promoting it too much, which I think they will definitely get way better at that. I mean, there's a lot of things like I watched your last podcast, there's a lot of things that they know that they need to do better like skins. Skins are garbage. Like it's not hard, you know what I mean? Like something like that, like skins, like it's not hard to make really really nice skins that people want. Like 
if you want to make money, sell nice skins. If you want to pe- watch, have people watch competitive, expose it, like tell people. And it's really frustrating as a player that it's not like nothing's really being done at a fast pace right now. But I guess it is what it is. We all hope that it's going to be figured out. Like we have people in PUBG Corp. We have people in OGN, like all these people that talk to the players directly every single day. We have like player managers and stuff like that within the within the scene. But it's there's some disconnect uh, among everything, honestly, in PUBG that it's not things are not like 100% perfect right away. And maybe it's just like, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just kind of being like too hard. But you would think like after a couple of years, yeah, the skins would be sick. Like PUBG Mobile skins are sick. Obviously, it's a different game pretty much. But there's no wonder like PUBG Mobile is making a ton of money. Like, why not be like that? Why, why won't you copy something that's successful? And why won't you copy Counter-Strike? Like their streams, their the way they their production is, the way they, they promote. Like you should definitely copy like the better esport and the ones that make a lot of money. Well, if I may, I, I want to share something that I noticed about a month ago that was a huge glaring hole to me. As somebody who spends a lot of time on YouTube, and rightfully so, I feel like YouTube is a pretty ubiquitous platform for getting information or just watching content. Let me give you a comparison real quick. And, and anybody out there can look this up right now. The Player Unknowns Battlegrounds YouTube channel has almost 1.1 million subscribers, right? Pretty reasonable. As a matter of fact, the cinematic for season four dropped 20 hours ago and they have 564,000 views. Holy cow. So that's less than 24 hours. Juxtapose that to the PUBG Esports YouTube page. I would like each of you to give me a guess of how many subscribers you think that page has. Seven. 20,000. It's, it's gotta be like probably 5K, honestly. You're pretty close. Uh, 3,800. Yeah. I'm a pro player. I don't even know about that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, how do they not build their organization off the backs of their most successful platform? And not only that, it's it's really difficult for organizations to want to invest in a PUBG. I'm sure like maybe you guys have heard it. If not, they're like Optic Gaming, they backed out as soon as they heard MPL was starting. Like they're like, nope, there's no there's literally no way to make money off of PUBG if you're an organization and and even make your money back. Like Tempo Storm is probably the only team in PUBG in in, in North America that has actually made their money back on their investment because they won two stinking seasons in a row and have won like basically like 500k. So that's the only reason. So like other than that, no one wants in. They know it's a sick game. Everyone loves PUBG. Everyone loves all the org owners and managers. They all play it. Everyone loves it. But they, they, there's just no money in it. And there's no exposure. There's literally nothing. And they said they're going to go through this whole revenue share thing. They literally put a skin, an MPL jacket that people had to buy for 15 bucks or 10 bucks, whatever it was. I don't even know. It was just like, no one's going to buy an ugly looking jacket that doesn't even look camo or any like anything cool for 15 bucks. <laughs> like, it's just, it's pointless. And that, that was their version of revenue sharing. And for this split and or this this year i guess and it was just it's garbage it's not it's not what it's supposed to be and that's why orgs aren't even invested in it and people don't even know like people don't even i didn't even know about that youtube channel and i'm a pro player and i watch youtube videos every day right well and then the subsidiary because like i'm pretty sure that the event itself is put on by ogn is that correct correct yeah so their youtube channel has thirty-three thousand subscribers reasonable but again not one million you know, that, yeah. that that is a fraction 
of the actual potential of what can be reached. And I feel like it's it, it's doing a really disservice to the esports branch of the entire game development that they're working on and stuff. I know that they're out there and they're, they're, they're pushing it, like they're building these events, they're putting money into it, they're putting effort into it, but I feel like they're putting effort into things, rather they're not putting effort into things I feel like they should be. Yeah, like I said, they need to go all in. When you brought up that jacket, I was like, dude, tinfoil hat moment. What if they give you a cosmetic item that's like slightly OP and then later nerf it like two patches down the road? Like after you can't buy it anymore. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, this jacket was causing people to not be seen, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so we're going <laughs> to, you know, change it. But I guarantee you sell a shit ton of jackets if you're like, dude, if I lay in the grass and I'm still, nobody sees me. Well, I will say there's a team back in the day, Welcome to South George, who's now Ninjas in Pajamas and IP in Europe. Uh, they had a green green jacket. Those players individually made over $300,000 each <laughs> just based off of like 10% of the sales of the jackets. And those things are ugly as shit too. Oh, yeah. But they camo on and, and Gull. Like everyone loved it as soon as the game came out or... As soon as the jackets came out, every single person bought it because they're like, oh, my God, this is like this is OP. Like you're, you're literally hiding in a bush and you can't see anything. Right. It's like having a ghillie suit on full time. Like those people made a lot of money. And obviously PUBG made millions like mm-hmm. just off of one skin. And it's something like that. Like we have a stupid MPL jacket like that, that's nothing. That, that is literally nothing. Even if you're going to promote your organization, like you could have charms. You could have I'm sure they're going to put all that stuff. They definitely need organization charms. Like they're gonna probably have the organization charms for worlds that's happening at the end of the year. They'll definitely have all of those, all those teams that are at worlds because that's a huge thing. Right. Um, it's not region specific. So like, if you did charms for every single team in MPL, PEL, all these teams, like you'd have like a million, and that's that's not really. It's kind of counterproductive. I don't know. They have so much money. Just do something with promoting. Yeah, and I think it's really easy to pick apart the things they're not doing right. And for sure. You know, you alluded to the past episode with Corrigan, right? And we talked about some of the things that have been outstanding for a long time, some of the things that have been fixed recently. What I hear right now is passion, right? It's like you're in this, you are now in the league, and you've been at it for two years. I mean, that's a long time. So this isn't stuff that's coming up just like, you know, last week. The reason I bring that up and want to ask this next question is, the changes that we've seen recently, and I'm speaking from the hosts in general, we feel like there's been really good updates and the communication is ramping up and we heard about ranked mode coming and from a casual or hardcore casual perspective, a lot of this stuff sounds really good. They're coming on the podcast. You see a lot more going on on Twitter and everything. Is that the same sentiment from the people that are currently in the professional scene or trying to get there? Do all of these things that have happened in the last few months, does that feel good in the professional scene? No, absolutely. Like PUBG's taking leaps and bounds to like in the right direction finally. And they're doing a great job. Like I, I think it's really good that they're doing what is it? Every every major update's gonna be on a new season. So what is that, like quarterly? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what they say, ninety days? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, quarterly Something then. Like, like that. that's that's really good. Like I think that's huge. Like you can't be putting out updates every week. Like it's not gonna happen. Um, you could. It's good for like a new game. Like when it first comes out for like the first like six months a year. But now that they're established, like creating huge updates, things that change the game, the look of the game, the feel of the game, uh, especially weapon changes. Like weapon changes, everyone fears. Like the ARs. Like it takes one extra bullet now to kill somebody if you just shoot him in the chest or like lower abdomen who cares like it's it's like you got to change the game you gotta you have to change the guns like you can't have one you can't have like the m4 always being the go-to everyone's go-to 
eventually it's going to be the AK. Eventually it's going to be the Scar. Eventually it's going to be whatever. Like it's going to change. Like Counter Strike does the same thing with their like currency on the skins and stuff like or skins of the weapons in game and stuff like that. So like they nerf, they buff, they nerf, they buff. They just go, keep going back and forth, and they, that's how they keep the game fresh. It's the same thing with PUBG. Like they do all these updates, and especially like the new Aaron Goal update, which is amazing. It's going to bring back a ton of people. Like I'm in love with it. I honestly haven't played it on the test servers at all because I've been focusing to make MPL and we don't play on that. There's so much different with the map and especially as an in-game leader, like things are different, like way different right. terrain wise and building wise. Yeah, no, that was going to be one of my questions was in most pro scenes, League of Legends, Counter-Strike, whatever, there's usually a patch, maybe two patches behind. Yep. So when this news hits here, you just said like you're really excited for it. It's awesome. It's going to change things. How do you prep for like these weapon buffs and nerfs do you guys even look at those right now or are you focused on this upcoming season how does that affect you guys in the pro scene because you sound like you're excited for this patch oh but then absolutely. i'm sitting here like does he even gonna play it yeah it, it's <laughs> it's it's weird it is weird i remember maybe a year ago was when they did the like the complete weapon tuning fine tuning and everything and it changed a lot like it's it's definitely weird to play two patches prior especially when a big update like this comes out like you're playing pubs six hours a day on a new map on new guns and you go and play on the competitive server um and at LAN and it's totally different it's it is really hard I know they said that they don't really want to rush it um but I think if the changes are huge and very very different they're gonna have to kind of force force it pretty soon you can't practice on the competitive map in pubs I suppose when the new update comes out like the pro players, like the MPL and the MPLC players, will be practicing on the old patch, so the old Arangle and the old weapons. But right. opens players and open scrims will be playing on the new patch. So it's a whole kind of mess when, when it comes like a new update. But I guess that's just part of it. It's just something we've dealt with. It's like no one really is upset about it. Everyone that I've talked to, everyone that I see in the professional Discord and everything, like loves this new update. Everyone's super excited for it. Like it's hard not to love it. It's It's making the game better. It's making it easier to play. It's making it like more user-friendly and it's like you can't ask for more than that the professional scene itself i know that we've said a lot of like disparaging things and like hey they could do this better but i think really at the end of the day though in my opinion i feel that of all the battle royale games that are available right now PUBG is probably doing the best effort at making a professional scene work and putting effort into like the production and the the stage and the studio and the casting and and, and everything that goes into that uh, compared to everybody else and i don't know i i would be hard pressed to see if there's going to be any other game that actually tries to step up or catch up to that same level as far as br games are concerned as far as br PUBG is going to be the only game that is going to be long-term public matches and competitive scene for sure definitely competitive scene will be like the only br i will honestly say probably ever that'll have like an actual pro scene that has a pro league that goes to national international tournaments like uh, there's other games obviously fortnite the only reason those players are playing right now is because there's 150 or 500 million whatever the number i don't even know but it's like some outrageous amount that like of course like why not like why wouldn't you want to play for 100 million dollars like that's actually insane that's the only reason why people are playing those games is because it's just crazy money but as far as like PUBG, it's not like insane money it's really good money but people play it because it's an actual established pro scene and there's it's really really thought out and really really good like we said earlier like there's a lot of things that could be better like in the promotion wise but 
as far as the pro scene and how it's handled and how everything works, production and everything, it's amazing. It's it's honestly it's way it's right up there with the best esports in in the world. With games like Fortnite, who don't really care about having a professional scene, they'll do their big events and they'll like bring in a huge ass prize pool and stuff like that, and that's fine. They're happy to live in that space. But with Apex Legends bringing in ranked mode, do you think that game has any legs? Number one. And number two, was there talk around the PUBG professional scene when that game came out, whether or not it was going to be detrimental to PUBG as a whole or like potentially take away players from this game to the other game? As far as Apex, when it first came out, obviously everyone's going to try it. Everyone's going to have a good time on it. Um, and it was fun. Like I played three games and won all three with, and it was fun as heck. And we had a lot of kills. But at the same time, like you can honestly know right away if a game is just a quick one like one and done kind of game where you're just it's like six months and it's done one year and it's done like you could tell PUBG was like at such like a baby stage that it you knew there's gonna be longevity to it as far as like Apex it's it's pretty much a finished game like it's it's a good it's a good finished game it's EA it's it's a really good game but as far as the pro scene like like some people left that didn't make MPLC so some opens players have been grinding and grinding and kind of like me if I if I didn't make MPLC if I didn't make it and I would just jump ship because maybe that game will take off and maybe I'll get noticed kind of thing. Some people did jump ship, but all those players are back for the most part. Literally like 90% of them are back. I mean, that game with the ranked mode and stuff, like it's going to be good for players that are playing that game, obviously, but it's not going to draw away from PUBG at all. It's a totally different game. It's fast paced. It's like totally different. People that play PUBG love the survival aspect more than anything. And the, the gunplay and the gun mechanics are just off the charts more than any other game so like those are like the two main draws and no other game will be competing with that for a while and that's why in the pro scene like no one really cares if another game takes players but fortnite on the other hand like took a lot of PUBG players away just because of the money and it's just a no-brainer um but even some of those players are trying to come back too so like when a new game comes out obviously there's like some scare especially for like public player base if you love PUBG, like you're going to play PUBG. Like it's just this game's like I said, like like no other. So it's it's not really too scary for pro players to be worrying about that. So just because Shroud's playing it doesn't mean it's the next big thing. Dude, I wish Shroud came back, man. I honestly will say that Shroud bashing a competitive PUBG league and competitive PUBG in general when the first when the game first came out did not help at all. Like it actually it put PUBG competitive on a rough rough start. And uh, he obviously, like, has second guesses now. Like, he's like, holy cow, like, this is actually sick. Especially when he went to Berlin and there was millions of people watching. Like, what people don't understand, too, that is completely off topic, but people don't understand is when you watch the MPL, when you watch PEL on Twitch, there's only anywhere from 5K viewers to 25K, right? And sometimes there's 25K. Like, it's not, it's like one week, maybe it's 25K. Um, What people don't understand is PUBG overseas in China, in korea and japan like all like all these countries that you don't even think about literally there's millions of people watching on their channels on their live tv everything millions watching that's why mpl plays at a specific day on a specific time because people in china people in korea are awake at those times and it's huge so like a a lot of people a lot of people watch PUBG overseas and like the numbers don't look good on on twitch right now obviously but that's just for basically na and eu that's crazy. So do they have a different platform that they view that on? Oh, yeah. I mean, Twitch is banned in China and all that. Maybe Korea is too. But they all use like Do You TV and 
Panda TV and all that stuff. There, there's numbers of for Face It Major for PUBG. It had like upwards of like 100 million people. Holy, like it was crazy. Shit. Wow. Yeah, it was it was insane. Like people don't know, and it's not bad that they don't know. But I guess maybe people look at Twitch like, oh, this only has six k people. Like I was expecting like sixty k, and it kind of maybe puts like a bad connotation or whatever. Well, no, I I can certainly feel that because like as somebody who is you know scrolling through his his Twitch follows or browsing on the weekends, and I say, oh, NPL or EPL's up or PEL rather, and uh, I see they only got six thousand views, and I'm like damn must not be doing that well you know and so it, it's easy to jump on the bandwagon like i'm sure everybody does this from time to time but you go to twitch you go to the browse page and you just see what the top games are and then i'm sure everybody has had this exact same thought when you see a random ass game up there and you're thinking why is this the most popular game right now and you click on it and it's either shroud ninja summit or soda poppin like one of those four dudes is playing the most random ass game and you're like oh that's why because right now this person can pull in forty thousand viewers playing the most asinine thing in their steam library and people just go to that they're like oh let's just watch what everybody else is watching it's such a weird thing that we have numbers on that and i feel that that drags people in a direction other than what they might have been watching or would rather watch or want to support right and i think obviously like numbers would easily get better if it was promoted better but no one's really worried about the twitch numbers no one's really worried about viewer numbers because like i said like it's just just huge on other places than united states and europe let's talk a little bit about low-key let's talk about the upcoming season so you're on a bit of a break right now at the time of recording here we're in the middle of july what's coming up for you guys as a team what are you doing right now and what what can we expect from low-key coming up soon low-key we're we're in the off season there's a lot of things that have been going on behind the scenes with low-key as far as uh this off season goes like uh, we ended up making a roster change it's not really the greatest of times and we were a core group of four but like i said you want to win you kind of have to put those friendships aside you need to make sure you have the best team possible to perform against tempo storm to perform against cloud nine envy um and then if you get to an international phase liquid phase all those guys so like it, it sucks to make a roster change at such a high coming off such a high from making mpl qualifying and even the player that we cut he did not even really do that bad like he did not do poorly he came as a fragger although he did bottom frag at land it's not like a big deal like we were good group of guys good core four when that one special player comes out we're actually signing lobes so i guess i can leak that now because this video is going to go out at a really good time oh but yeah but i used to team with him Blissy might be making some changes but yeah so we're expected to sign lobes very very shortly um yeah we just have a lot of chemistry with the guy he's it's like it's going to be extremely extremely good but for us this off season we all took kind of like a three-week break some of us took vacations i went to canada uh figs going to chicago like a couple guys like actually chubba went to canada too so we're all traveling kind of getting our family stuff out of the way uh i have a fiance fig has a girlfriend so it's like a long-term relationship so like we're all trying to get this family stuff out of the way so that when we go back to Los Angeles, we're ready to grind. Pretty much now we're kind of like a month away, a little month and a week until we return back to Los Angeles. And the split starts uh, early September. So we're just scrimming every single night, going over VODs, going over kind of team stuff. Like this week, we go over schedule, 
for the upcoming weeks. Um, we go over kind of like expectations of what we need to do, what we need to work on individually as a team and all that stuff. So just a lot of behind the scenes stuff during the off season, especially on a short off season, like a month or two off season is not very long. So not too bad for low key, but expectations for next split. If we would have this meeting last week, I would probably say we would place anywhere from 12th to 6th, maybe 4th, realistically saying. That's just because it's our first season in MPL. Um, we're still like a really good team. We're probably, in my opinion, a top 10 team regardless. But with this new roster, um, I think top 10 is definitely obtainable. It's uh, I would say the goal, magic number, so to say, would probably be 7 or 6. We're expecting top, like we want to get top 5. Uh, top five is always a goal for every single split. Top five gives you the most points for making it to Worlds. First place, second place gets you guaranteed bids into Worlds at the end of the year. Tempo Storms obviously won the first two splits, um, but they're not impossible to beat. Like, no team. It's PUBG. Anyone can win. There's some teams that get circles on their loot spots and they win the game. Um, in a 40-game season, it does seem long, but if you win five or six of those games and huge kills and you play really good for the rest of them, like you could definitely make it to Worlds. Like, it's PUBG. Honestly, there's going to be one or two teams that sneak in. So, I mean, we're just going to work. We're working hard. Like, there's a whole competitive mindset. Like, we can go on and on about competitive mindset and, like, what we think about, like, what strategy and stuff like that in competitive games. But, yeah, so that's pretty much uh, what we're working on and our expectations. You said that Temple Storm won the last two splits, or last two seasons, rather, or whatever, which is interesting in a game where everything is random, right? So, in that regard, you would think... As soon as everybody jumps out of the plane, everybody has an equal opportunity for success. Correct. But if we're seeing the same teams winning over and over, it really doesn't come down to who gets what rotation, who gets what loot. It really comes down to players and skill and tactics and things like that. So I know what you're trying to say. Like RNG is a huge factor in PUBG and in competitive. That's why this game is so amazing competitively that no one really understands maybe is that in a counter-strike game it's five players versus five players like it's on one map everyone knows the angles everyone knows where people play PUBG, there's 16 teams of a like 360 degree angles and people driving car like it's literally crazy it's craziness and at the same time you could literally have 60 players in 100 meters of, of each other essentially like not really but like you know what i mean like it's it's like a such a small confined space that you could put 60 players on a counter-strike map and you, you would never see each other like that it's counter or PUBG is like such like a chess game more than it is a shooter and the strategy is what is just so important that's why tempo is so good their igl maluk is really really strong um he's also a good fragger as well but that like there is consistencies in PUBG like there's a reason why good teams stay good is because they understand the meta. They understand how to play. They can adjust. Adjusting is like the most important thing. There's new teams, new drop spots. It's crazy. But just like my grandfather used to say, the sun will shine on a dog's ass every once in a while, right? Like the worst team can win a game based on the correct circumstances. Absolutely. And that's got to be pretty exciting. Like even if you were just a middling team or somebody in the lower bracket, like you got to be able to drop in and think to yourself at any moment, hey, guys, this could be the game. This could be the game where we get the good spot. We get the good loot. You know, we we box everybody out and we make it to the final circle. Yeah, you never know. I mean, especially at the early stages of PUBG, all these qualifiers are like four games. Four games, anything can happen. Good teams are eliminated in four games. Horrible teams get first place. They could win three. There's games in PUBG that are completely unwinnable. 
And there's also games that are very winnable, but the unwinnable games, it brings out the best teams where you try to get as, oh, my voice is dying. Holy cow. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's definitely different, right? When you're, when you're talking the whole time. Dude, I talk so much and I'm like dying. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, there's this weird sense of pride we're all having right now. (laughs) I know, you guys do this all the time. (laughs) But we don't. I mean, we do, but we don't. Holy cow. I'm going to get another glass of water. It's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) There's one thing we can beat Pax in. It's talking. Yeah, we can't beat you in the fucking game, but... So pretty much like anyone can win at any point, but sometimes those those random cinderella story teams uh squeak through teams that do the best like tempo storm they put those games that are absolutely unwinnable and just get as many kills as possible and there's some situations that there's always like a way to get in the circle no matter what there's always a way to get four people alive and just relax and chill and not have to fight your way in it's not like that's not the way to play the game now it's it's totally different you got to go for kills you got to get as many kills as possible essentially to get as many points and like those bad games even if you go out in 16th place last place and you get five kills that's five points you're getting more kills or you're getting more points than more than half the lobby in that game so it's it's a totally different mindset now in PUBG competitive that like you have to be okay with getting last place and it's so weird for an IGL to say that there's sometimes like at land especially when there's only 12 games that we have to qualify for MPL like you got to be all right with getting a 16th place. As long as you get a couple kills, you're good. And it's it's just so it's so weird. But like I said, like that's why Tempo is so good. That's why Phase is so good. Liquid is so good. Like they get those bad games and they make the best of it. And it's really tough to do that. But those teams obviously figure it out and they win the games that they're supposed to win and win big. That's how they're uh, they're that's how they're at the top. Well, this has been an excellent, I don't want to say surface level, and I don't want to say deep dive, because there's no way to unpack the competitive scene in an hour or an hour and a half with somebody, because especially someone who spent two years on it. So I hope you guys got some great insight to it. And actually, you know what, while I'm thinking about it, Pax, would you let people know if it's possible or if you're willing to, you said that a lot of this stuff is open and anyone can come. Could you tell someone who's interested in this, like the discords or where to go to get started? Yeah. So the main discord um, that everyone uses to get involved into competitive PUBG is called NA Pro Scrims. Um, it's pretty much, there's a lot of free agents. There. There's a lot of people that have just created teams are looking for players constantly. Um, there's always players that are looking to join teams, stuff like that. So pretty much it's it's a locked Discord, but all you have to do is ask one of the admins to get you an invite and you're good to go. So we'll, we'll provide the link for you guys uh, on that one. But yeah, that's just pretty much the main Discord. That's how I got started. That's how everyone gets started. Um, and then it just you just move up from there. You work your way through the ranks and find a team that you're able to grind with and work hard with and work well with and then good to go. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I've heard the I've heard the name of that before, but I didn't realize that that was actually the name of the Discord. Yeah, so. that is like it used to be make Amer- make NA Scrims great again with the Donald Trump picture on it. So that was that was the OG naturally. Well, sir, we're kind of at the end here. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and just giving us this kind of look into the competitive scene to your journey to what you guys are doing behind the scenes to get better. But now 
what time it is, is we, we like to give you the floor to let people know where to find you, what's going on, shout outs, what, whatever you need to do here. The floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate you guys very much for, for having me on. It's not every day that we get to do something like this, but I'm more than happy to explain the pro scene and explain esports in general, PUBG esports in general, like behind the scenes stuff. But if you guys uh, ever have any questions, everyone reach out to me. My Twitter DMs are always open at PAX underscore PUBG. Um, especially on Discord too, just at PAX, hashtag 2401. Yeah, I stream on Twitch daily, pretty much every single day from noon Eastern time until usually around scrim time, around 6 p.m. Eastern time. So get a good chunk, just mess around, have a good time with uh, other pros in the scene. And yeah, best of luck on your journey to pro. That's awesome, man. Well, again, thank you so much, you guys. If you enjoyed what PAX had for us on the show here, uh, make sure you reach out, tell them you found them through the podcast or go say hey from the winner winner team. This has been really cool for me personally. So hopefully you got something out of it. And yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. We wish you the best of luck in this next split. Uh, look for those winner winner emotes climbing up your Twitch screen. For sure. Thank <laughs> you. Wow. That was awesome. You know, we we're not exactly the most versed in the competitive scene. So it was awesome to you know, bring someone on who has a really cool story and has had recent success in going from player to NPL team, IGL, or in-game leader. It's just awesome to have Pax on here. Thank you again, sir, for being on the show. And that's going to do it for us. Before we bolt out of here, Griff, why don't you tell these folks where they can find They can find me in a multitude of different places. Uh, the first place would probably be at Twitter at uh at grifflicious i uh, would also suggest finding me over at youtube uh youtube.com slash grifflicious i also stream over at twitch but been really focusing on my content creation and a few other things so i've not really been streaming as much as i should be i apologize for anybody who does follow my channel and are just anxiously waiting for me to get on uh i suck and i'm sorry but maybe one day i'll eventually get there but yeah twitter youtube also on Reddit, that's not important, but yeah, hit me up, say hi. And you may have noticed that we actually lost the One Heart and Heathy Keithy as our hour and a half to two hour plan turned very quickly into a three hour long podcast, at least the recording side. It'll be a little shorter than that when you catch it, but it's still going to be a longer one. So you can find both of them in the Discord for Winner Winner. Both of them are also on Twitter, and Heathy manages the Winner Winner Instagram account. So look for them there. The best place to get them is usually on Twitter or in the Discord. As for me, MTB Trigger, you can find me on Twitch and Twitter under those handles. Best place to chat with me is probably when I'm streaming on Twitch. I play primarily PUBG, but I've been digging into some other things recently, but 95% plus time I'm playing PUBG. Big thing to note for me is I've recently changed my schedule up a bit, so I have a couple daytime streams on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, so look out for those. But other than that, that is the show. Woot! So if you like what we're doing here, you can always support us on Patreon. We have gained a couple of new supporters recently. Thank you guys so much. Uh, even a dollar a month makes a huge difference. You can always catch us on the Discord. You can email us. And again, any support that comes through on Patreon is not required, but it is certainly appreciated. It keeps us going over here. As always, Spiffy Man, thank you so much for the music on the show. Friends, we are out of here. 
Have a great rest of your week or weekend. Winner, winner, out. <laughs>